Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus. I am the death metal guy uh, flying solo today. The black metal guy unfortunately could not attend. He said that he was attending a, well, what he referred to as a Dutch black metal convention, which based on his description meant standing outside the headquarters of Heden's Heart Records with a boombox playing Asgrau. Uh, this is a very special occasion here on Terminus. Uh, I get to speak to a... Uh, really kind of a, a, a long-time influence of mine uh, since I was relatively young in extreme metal. Uh, I'm privileged enough to be sitting here with uh, Lori Bravo of Nuclear Death and, of course, her current solo work. Um, Lori, how are you doing? The I'm good. How's it going? <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's going great. You know, I get to uh, fulfill a, a long-time dream of mine. Yeah, this is full of shit. I love it. I love the internet. <laughs> I love the internet. <laughs> well, you're one of the more accessible people of uh, kind yeah. of the, the old school death metal scene. You, you do I? a I fair being, number of interviews. I keep being told that. It's really weird because I don't know why. I mean, I guess if you're like out of the scene and whatever and you want to have your own little thing, okay, maybe. But I feel I don't understand that like as a performer. Like I just sort of feel like it just seems like I have to make sure that I'm out there. Otherwise, people either A, may forget or B, you know, it's. I don't know. It's cool because I like talking to people. I mean, I, I don't like people, but then I do like talking to people. It's just weird. It's like, you know, it's, a, it's it, but yeah, it's just, uh, I don't know. I, I, I've noticed that a lot, a lot of people, um, it seems like a lot of people in all, uh, all genres of music tend, when I read their interviews, they tend to be these very introverted people that play music because to get over their shyness or they used to be shy or whatever, but I'm not like that at all. So it's like maybe that's why I'm, I'm a total extrovert. So I'm just used to being out there. And, you know, I did spend lots of time hiding out anyway when I was a drug addict. So that would be the hiding out time. But that's why it wasn't, <laughs> you know, it had nothing to do with because of whatever. It was because I was too busy doing drugs. So obviously I didn't have time. And I wasn't, again, it wasn't that the Internet wasn't what it where. When I was like that, it wasn't what it is now at all, not even close. So, like, I didn't really care, you know. Well, I think uh, I, I think that you were lucky enough to get through your uh, your hard drug phase and then come out the other side. I think there's a lot of people from the early '90s who are still in that right now. Yeah, I noticed, or they're going back to it. I noticed it's kind of sad. I noticed a couple people that are. Um, I mean, I've gone back and forth, but I've never everything. I've I've always quit on my own. I've never been to actual rehab. Um, even heroin, but I just, uh, I have that kind of way where if I do put my mind, I, I know I have the kind of will that if I put my mind to something, it will happen. And it was just, as usual, everything gets boring for me. Like, it's like when it's boring, then it's no fun anymore. And then it's like, oh no, I'm addicted. <laughs> that sucks. Now I've got to deal with that because it was never a point of like something happened or I lost my, my, I don't know, like my job or any of that. None of that. I never had any of that fucking intervention bullshit happen to me. It's like, I just thought, this is boring now. I'm sick of sitting here waiting for drugs. I'm tired of the people I'm hanging around with. It's not fun anymore. It's time to stop. That's just kind of how it's been with everything. I've, I've never, you know, it's like whatever. No matter what kind of addiction, because I have an addictive personality, so I can be obsessed or addicted to anything, really. It doesn't matter what it is. But I'm just saying in that in that way. But being, yeah, being accessible, I think, especially right now, is really important because, uh you know, you, you want to build those relationships. And these people, if they've been listening to me that long, it's like, 
wow. I mean, I don't care if they're listening to the new music or, the, or nuclear death, it doesn't matter, but the fact that they're actually that excited because I wished them happy birthday on Facebook, that's cool as shit. You know, it's oh, like, I can't, um, I can't even imagine that. Like, you know, it's just like, Lori Bravo, wish me happy birthday. I'm thinking that makes you that happy. Then that's awesome. <laughs> well, I know. think, uh, I think that what's happening is, you know, we were talking a little bit before we started recording, you know, yeah. um, and so I'm 31 and there really exactly. is kind of a new wave of younger people rediscovering yeah. all this music all the time. Yes, so. and, and or through their parents, or like I have like people tell me, yeah, my uncle used to, you know, listen to Nuclear Death, and now they have the record, and this person's like, you know, 25 or 20 or whatever, and I'm like, what? You know, or they'll just, just <laughs> hey, I just discovered your music, and it's some 12-year-old kid, and I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? And it's just so <laughs> cool. And then, they're, and then because it's the internet and the World Wide Web, you know, it's like you can write me and tell me this, and I'll actually answer you. That's I, I think that might be... You know, because I mean, in the old days, I'm the one that mainly answered all of our mail. So this is answering mail just quicker. That's all it is. I'm just doing the same thing. I'm. It's pen pals. To me, it, the internet are a lot of pen pals. Just people, you know, because most for mostly it's all respectful. It's like I'm kind of surprised actually. I I felt since I'm the kind of person that was bullied and shit for so long, and even during nuclear death, especially even for my own band mates, it's sort of weird that people are so respectful. I mean, you could easily just t tell me what a piece of shit I am or how ugly or old or fat or whatever, but you, <laughs> nobody does that. They really don't. They don't. And I find I mean, that I really kind of cool. I could jump you in know? and be really mean or something. If that yeah, but you know what I mean? No, it's, kind of, it's just kind of just saying it's kind of weird because it's like there's this, there, you're anonymous now, so it's actually easier. But I noticed that there, because there's a lot of other people I know that are in bands, women, I mean, that are getting all these, you know, they get these, you know, people saying stuff and all this other shit and I'm thinking really and I feel like almost bad for him so I'm thinking oh I don't I never get any of that shit everybody's very I don't know if maybe they're afraid of me which maybe they well, should be maybe that's no, you, what it is you know you it's see, like Lori, I, you've, I don't know you've ascended you've ascended <laughs> into being like the death metal grandma well, I am. I'm the queen of, I mean, I'm the queen mother. I'm the first woman to do it. So that makes sense. I mean, I am, I am the first lady of death. Nobody can take that title away. I mean, I helped create it, but that's, that's, I understand that. And I stand behind it now. I'm very proud of that fact because that was one of my goals. I didn't know that, but I didn't, I mean, one of my goals was to do something different than no one had ever done. Like, like Miles Davis did with creating fusion and I did it. So I'm like really proud of that, but I'm just saying, I find it really, like I said, I, maybe they're afraid of me. May, I don't know. But it's like, and, and these are people that are in from different countries that are about six feet tall, big, huge dudes that could kill me. But no, they're all like, oh, it's so cool. You're, so, you know, and I'm thinking, well, that, that to me means everything. Like I said, that's like when people would write back, back when, back in the day, when it was snail mail and you're writing to somebody in Norway. And then the next thing you know, after three weeks later, you get a, you know, letter by boat and they're telling you how, how cool it is. That's that. There you go. I mean, that, that always, for me, it was very impressive. I, I don't know if Phil or Joel ever really felt like, they were just more about like we're not making enough money or any money, but it was never about money. For I mean, how could you form a band like us at that time in the '80s and think it's about money? If it was about money, I should have been singing music like Madonna. I mean, that it's like I could. I mean, I'm a I'm a singer, so it's like I could have went. If I'm going to do that, I would have went into pop or something and and made you know. But the whole thing is, I I had this this vision and. I never thought it, I honestly never thought it would make when people were making money that pissed me off because I thought well how come we're not making money because people around us that were in bands that weren't that good 
we're making money. And I thought, these guys aren't that good. These people can't even write fucking lyric. But here we are writing great lyrics and we're not making shit. I mean, there were things like that. But it was never about that. It's, and that's what's weird about me making money now. It's almost like, it's not a lot, obviously. I mean, right now I'm lucky I have like $90 to my name and I live with my mom. But honestly, again, it's sort of like... Um, I am making money off it in certain ways and I'm so happy and thankful and blessed because you couldn't have given our records away when we were actually a band and then how it's like people are constantly, you know, do you, do you have this? Do you have that? You know, and they know I have the Planet Kachuksu and Harmony. You can get those for me and I, you'll get them signed and they get all excited and it's just like, I just can't believe, I mean, I'm so glad that Steve and I made those and nobody, nobody wanted them, didn't matter. And I'm so thankful that when we broke up, he gave them to me. He gave, he said, I don't want these. I'm so glad he did because now I'm selling them. It might be 21 years later, but so what? You know, and it's like every time I, every time I sell a Harmony Drinks Me CD, I think, I can't believe that. It's like (laughs) he, he kept them. And we were supposed to split them. And then he just got sick of it. He was just like, you know, that's one of the reasons we broke up is because he just wasn't into the music at all or into anything anymore. He's into drugs and I just couldn't do it anymore. And I was like, okay, I, I'm always a musician. Even when I was a drug addict, I was still a musician. So an artist, you know. So I was like, okay, whatever. And then he ended up giving me all of them. And I was, when he moved, he moved out of state and he said, I, and I thought, oh my God, you have all the Planica Shexiel stuff too? Yes. I said, oh my God, and he gave me all of everything. That we had, and I, I mean, I still have tons, probably hundreds of both of those CDs that I'm still selling to this day. And so that's thankful because that's money. You know, it's like right there. It's like, oh, okay, you just bought me a couple, couple of those and you'll buy me a bottle of bourbon. You'll put gas in my car, food in my stomach, cats have, you know, stuff like that. I always tell people, you just bought me gas. Like, I'll do that too. Like, if I use their money that day, I'll tell them straight up. And people seem to be really excited about that. Like, thank you. You just bought, bought me groceries for this week. You know, you should tell them. You know, I mean, I haven't had to worry about that so much here because with COVID, they gave you a larger amount of food stamps. So now I'm not really that, I'm not that desperate like I was before COVID. But before COVID, I, I literally would tell people what they bought me. And they seemed to really like that, you know, whether, whether it was, like I said, a bottle of bourbon or it was fucking gas or whatever it was. It was always some sort of something, though, because to, to me, bourbon it is an essential. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I'm drinking right now. So, oh, right on. Nobody ever drinks bourbon. Cool. Good. Mm. Hey, I'm I'm down in the south like you. I know how it is. <laughs> that's true. Well, like I said, I was doing this in in, in Arizona anyway. But I use, I like vodka, but I, it makes me mean, and I realized that years ago, so I stopped drinking. I had to. I was like, okay, this just isn't <laughs> this isn't the way I want to be. And it wasn't always mean, but it just it makes me aggressive, and it makes me think of things like you know, I had to just. I ought to just go drive up to blah, blah. I don't know, just doing stupid shit. So it's like, yeah, so the bourbon seems to work. And, um, you know, <laughs> moving here and everything, you know, um, I don't know, it's it's New Orleans, so hello, you know. And, <laughs> I mean, people don't drink here, I'm sure, but I don't know anybody. And uh, so, yeah, but uh, it's just, it's that thing. And now my bourbon time will be later after, like, after I get off with you, then I'll probably go and see, I don't know if I can walk. It seems it's too hot. So I'll probably have to cycle, do my indoor cycling. And then, then I will take a shower and then I will have my bourbon. And then that's how I am. My night is my bourbon. So yeah. I gotcha. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> very controlled, point. very disciplined. You know, I've got that ballerina, that ballet discipline from when I was a kid that I still, I'm thankfully, thank, I'm thankful for that. It's also kind of ingrained because of my me being a military brat, my father was 
you know, a master sergeant in the army and he fought in Korea and, and Vietnam. And I think I have that. And my mom's also a self-starting, you know, she was, she's a art history professor and uh, retired now. And again, there's this discipline. My brother has it too. So there's this Bravo discipline thing. So everything kind of has to be, like I said, like, I, I mean, you, this is talk, coming from a person that used to be a drug addict that didn't have any discipline, but I'm just saying. When I'm in my right mind, everything's very like, okay, now, now, wait a minute. This has to start. I have to do that first. And okay, now I've won my bourbon. Time, time to get fucked up. And so, that, <laughs> yeah, I just have to just wait for the end of the night, you know, unless I go out to Bourbon Street or like I'm out with, with whatever, if my brother takes us out or whatever. But I end up usually being the designated driver that way because he works mornings. And so I'm usually the one that just doesn't drink during the day. That way him, my mom and he can party and, I don't care. I mean, it doesn't matter to me. I, I prefer nighttime anyway. So I gotcha. that's that's my well, time. I mean, I think going back to what you said about uh, people being excited to hear what you spent their money on, so to speak. I cool. mean, well, I think it's, uh, I mean, well, one part of it's, you know, personal connection to the artist. And it's like, oh, you're actually supporting them in a meaningful yes, way. Yes, I wanted them to know that and, very uh, much so. To, to assure you, as someone who does extreme metal now, um, uh, we're definitely not making any more money now. Than you I did didn't think so. Well, that's what I mean. Like, it's just people were getting signed and, you know, and it just, it was a drag for us. But um, just, I don't know, everything happened. I would, I used to think be all sour grapes, like, meh. But then it's like, now I realize, like, I'm so glad I have control. I mean, even though I did sign up with Odin Thompson of Morbid Records for these new re-releases, I have the control. It's, he's doing something really awesome with, with our, with my work. And, it's cool. And he's a dear fan, you know, just like he's a big, huge, you know, nuclear death person and whatever. And he's a good person and whatever. So that's fine. But what I mean is I, I still have control over everything. And maybe if I had signed with relapse or one of these that I was trying to get signed to, maybe I wouldn't have, I don't know. I mean, you just don't know. So maybe that was supposed mm -hmm. to happen. So I always figure, you know, I am that kind of mindset that I do have that kind of thought process that, you know, be being a person who's a witch and everything and, and, and comes from a long line of witches on both sides of my family. So I'm very, you know, in tune with like karma and what's what. And I just thought, no, nah, I don't, wasn't supposed to be, wasn't meant to be because it was, it would have happened and maybe it would have been a disaster. I mean, who knows? So, but I do owe my rights and I, that's, I never knew how important that was until, until, you know, famously, you know, Michael Jackson basically bought, Beatles shit and took it straight away from Paul McCartney and said it's just business I thought are you fucking kidding me I mean that's no, but just then, then he gave it back to Paul McCartney for I a mean, dollar I know but still that's just you know what I mean it's cool but what I mean is that happens shit like this happens and maybe somebody would have signed us and then taken advantage of us because we obviously wild rags took us for a ride so that's what I'm saying it's just we don't know and, and I'm thinking maybe it wasn't supposed to be that way because I do own everything it's mine and then, you know, and it's mine 100%, not Phil, not Joel. Steve, I've, I've, I did offer originally because I'm very, again, I'm very karmic. I wanted everybody to have pieces of pies, but nobody wants to deal with it. They, at the time, these people were all, you know, whatever. And so, and Steve, he just doesn't want anything to do with it at all. So he's like, yeah, no, it's yours. So, okay. So then it's, it's, you know, and that's good because it is my band. I mean, I formed it. So in a way it is mine, you know, it's like, so that works, you know, I'm not complaining. <laughs> well, I think nuclear death is uh, an interesting case. That's not, it's not even super rare anymore. Um, you know, it's an early death metal band that is almost more popular now, 
long totally. after that's, its demise. Oh, it's way, yeah, we were not popular day. at all. Yeah, there was no, there. yeah, nothing. Absolutely. We couldn't have got <laughs> press if I tried and, and cried for it, except for the couple people that did do it, obviously. But I'm just saying, I mean, you know, we weren't getting what we, what would have been good was not. It, again, we just didn't have that. I, which is weird. Like I said, there's a woman in the band should have been bigger press than anybody right there. But for some reason, all those idiot dudes and those journalists and those people that work at Kerrang and all these places that I tried to contact just didn't want anything to do with us. And they also didn't like the lyrics because apparently we were too extreme because we talk about things like fucking dead animals. And I thought, oh, please. You know, it's like, uh, like you don't realize it's a story. You people are from England and you don't get this. Come on, aren't you educated better than we are? Give me a break. So, you know, because Kerrang! was a good one. I mean, I really wanted to be in that magazine. I bought that magazine for years. I loved it. I even have a patch of them on my my, my original uh, leather vest I used to wear in the 80s in high school. I mean, I loved them. And I, I was so, that was like my crowning thing. Like, we got to be in Kerrang! But they didn't want anything to do with us. So, I'm sorry, but we just do not want this. You know, we made, they gave us, kind of like when you submit a story to like a, a publication and they say that they don't want it. That's what they did to us at Kerrang! famously. I don't know who it was. I can't remember. Wrote us back and said that they were not taking submissions at this time. And I thought, but we're just submitting to the demo section. I, th I thought that was weird. I thought, but because, you know, because of course, you know, dear John, you know, Metallion, he put us in his magazine, you know, and that was great. But that was like one of the rare ones, honestly. Metal Hammer and there's, you know, there's zines, but I mean, his would probably be one of the more higher end ones because i tried I, tr I tried lord how i tried you know <laughs> i mean i didn't know i have marketing in my blood but i'm just saying i i obviously do and i ended up being doing sales for years that's how i that's how i made money and that was my day job and and i was really really good at it but um now i realize that that's what i was doing then too i just was doing it you know more grassroots because you know you're writing somebody with snail mail to england with your post or their post and you're putting sending them you know you're your uh, your cassette tape in the mail and whatever, but yeah, I don't know. It's weird. They're not. It's it's weird how popular. That's what I mean. It's just like I feel blessed. It's a weird thing to say, but I feel blessed. Like, wow, it worked. It just worked way later, <laughs> and I didn't have to die. Because honestly, dude, I always thought I'd have to die for it to work. I thought, okay, that's what's going to happen. We'll be dead and it'll be like H.P. Lovecraft. And then suddenly somebody will pick something up and go, oh, shit. But then luckily here I am and I'm not dead yet. So, and you know, none of my bandmates are. And I thought, okay, so I guess I didn't have to die. Well, I'm glad because I really didn't want to have to wait until I was dead to be enjoying this from the grave. So, you know, having people tell me that it's changed their life or that they formed a band or my dear friend Pamela Escobar, she, she, she's, you know, from South America and she, she plays bass because of me, supposedly. I thought, really? You know, I don't know. It just blows me away. It'd be like me being able to tell Jimi Hendrix, you know, the reason I picked up guitars from you, tell Janis Joplin, the reason I sing rock and roll is because of you and Billie Holiday. I sing jazz because of you, you know, I was able to say, say that to these people, but most of the people that influenced me are all dead. They were all dead by the time, you know, when I, except for Miles Davis, they were basically people that were the high influencers in my life as a musician that were dead when I was into them as a child already, they were already dead. So it's like, mm. you know, but yeah, so it's cool. I feel like, well, if you, if, if somebody can call, text me and tell me or whatever, message me and say that 
I had an influence or whatever that they got them through. This other guy just messaged me recently. He's from Israel. And he said, you know, your music got me through some dark times. I thought, really? That's totally cool. I'm glad that it did. Yeah, he's making patches, actually. Some limited oh, edition awesome. ones. Yeah, some limited edition things are happening. There's all kinds of limited edition shits coming, finally. Oh, and my, my dude, Black Metal Store from Brazil, he can finally, he's sending me merchandise. That's coming. Finally, I guess the COVID got uh, uh, the COVID ban got lifted from the post postage there in Brazil because I couldn't get anything from there. That I have merchandise waiting that he's supposed to send me, and he couldn't do it. So that got lifted, I think, last week. So, oh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. So yeah, there'll be some kind of cool stuff coming. Uh, nuclear death wise, that little I don't even remember what it is that he sent me. Honestly, it's been so long, I can't remember. But it's cool. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> <It's neat. laughs> So real quick, before we get into kind of the deep cut nuclear death talk. Uh, yeah. Obviously, uh, so I listened to Bare Bones. Uh, oh, thank you. For those who aren't familiar, uh, Lori has been a, a pretty prolific uh, solo artist, sometimes with a backing band. Mm-hmm. Um, and you recently released Bare Bones, which is a, a sort of double album. Mm-hmm. And uh, I Didn't listened to the whole thing. Be. I think, <laughs> I, I listened to the whole thing. I think it's wonderful. Thank um, you. <laughs> um, very hard to describe. It, it's at a kind of an interesting junction of like neo folk, um, kind of older singer songwriter stuff, as well as some blues and jazz. I mean, mm-hmm. how would how would you describe it to an audience? You'd, I think you did. Familiar? I think you just did a fantastic job right there. It's it's actually oh, when you. I try to have to describe it to people when they ask me what kind of music is it, I. This is what I usually do. I just usually it's somebody that I'm not going to be talking to for very long. So like on the street, you know, somebody, whatever they're, oh yeah, you playing about, oh, you play music. Okay. What kind of music do you sing or play? And I'll think, okay, I got to think really fast. And I always say Neo blues because that seems to make them stop and go, oh, okay. They seem to get what that means. Now, is that what it is? I don't know, but I figure this album is the blues for me because it's all about grief and anxiety. So there's only one raging song on the whole record, and that's the outward, is what the, I call the outward song. It's the only song that's not written about me or it's autobiographical, and that's uh, Suicide and Fentanyl. And that's just my view on the world completely and what's going on in it and how, you know, the, the rich men and, you know, that the, the homeless situation, people starving, the suicide and fentanyl, of course, you know, children not being able to be reunited with their yeah, as refugees with their with their parents all that was going on and then of course the rich men how they buy children and they and they and they traffic kids all of that was in there and that's the my my political song if you will uh where mm-hmm. it's not has nothing to do with me personally it's just my view and that has that's the rage there but none of the other songs because uh, i was just thinking about that today because i'm working on i'm working actually towards a new a new, uh, I'm writing new music and I'm exploring something completely different that I've been waiting to explore that I've been not able, strong enough to explore that has to do with a lot of rage. And so this is, yeah, so this is, uh, to me, it's grief, but blues, blues, you know, it's, it's the blues. It's like the blues in my way, because there was so much grief when I was, you know, it wasn't when I was writing, it was recording it, that just losing my four cats in a matter of months and then losing our dog and, you know, because, uh, and then me getting silent reflux and not knowing what it is and being, you know, on a liquid diet for eight months and not being able to sing for eight months. And just, it was just, you know, it was just such a, like, a, it was just like everything was stripped away. That's what's weird because bare bones was just like an idea. I had no idea I was actually going to become 
what I'm writing at all. I mean, I actually thought, I'm going to want to look this way on the cover. I better start losing a little bit of weight. Well, I didn't have to because I was on a lipid <laughs> diet and I dropped like 60 pounds in a matter of months. And I was glad because I didn't, you know, menopause makes your body weird. So I didn't realize that I had even gained that much because all I was so focused on my music that I just wasn't even... I'm very uh, all about my weight, but as we all know, I have a weight problem. I have my whole life, so it's always been a problem. But this one was the one where it was just like, if you, it's interesting how you can see as you go through, if you look on my YouTube and you see all the behind the scenes I did in my original studio in Arizona, you can see the difference in, in the way my face and my body change as I go. I get smaller and skinnier and thinner and more tired. And, you know, because, <laughs> you know, it was supposed to, I had it all planned out. It was going to take, I thought it was going to be done in the summer when I originally re recorded and then all of this shit started happening. COVID happened. And although that is, I mean, duh, it's a horrific thing. It didn't really impact the household because in Arizona, I hate sun and I hate heat. So I planned on making the album starting in March because that's when the heat starts. And I would just lock myself in the house. Like if you're snowbound, except instead I'm heat bound. So that was <laughs> no problem being away locked away that's what i planned on and that's what i do every summer so i don't really care it didn't impact me in that way so i had plenty of time but then all this other shit went down and so all of that along with it made it really excruciating to record these songs and you can hear it i mean the way that they're written everything was recorded it's recorded exactly the way i recorded it everything was done the exact sequence that you're hearing it is from start to finish is exactly the sequence I recorded it in. And I did not mix anything either because I didn't think it needed it. I thought, why am I mixing? For what am I doing? Like I didn't understand. I thought there's not enough to mix what's there. There I didn't see a reason. It was pretty much mixed while I was doing it. And I thought, okay, that sounds great. Let's go moving on. And I would always try to do it in one take, like or one day, go up on Saturday, come down with a finished product, play with for my mom, move on with my night. And mm -hmm. then sometimes there'd be weeks in between that didn't happen. But yeah, when I was doing it, it was like the, I had to relearn everything. I mean, I hadn't recorded in years. So I hadn't recorded since I did the When the Sun Dies EP. And that was like way before, I mean, eight years, like I said, eight years in the making in the adverts. Uh, so I forgot everything really. I couldn't, re I mean, I could remember sort of how to record, but it was stupid things like, you know, Oh, that's right. I have to put it in the second input. Oh, that's right. I have to turn <laughs> this down, you know, just stupid shit. Oh, my interface doesn't work. I want, well, you know, because this is not turned up, you know, things like that, that I had to re-remember and, uh, it didn't take me long. I mean, you know, it's like a, you know, get up on a bicycle again, you remember, but it was just like that whole process and you can hear it when you're, if you listen you can hear as it goes on, the recording gets better and better and better because I got better. And I, and I left it. I thought, you know, like, again, I wanted this to be very real and it's all me. And I was not supposed to have it mastered by me. I'm, I'm glad I did it. It was a very interesting experience. And I, I did have to use a place to do it. Schnalls, it's online. It's a free uh, mastering thing. I'm not saying I did everything perfectly, but it was cool to do it all on my own. So there's no other fingerprint on it. It really is all me. And so that, you know, I didn't, that was one of the achievements I never thought I could get because I was the person that was always shoved to the side. Like, 
I was afraid of like, oh, I don't know what that is in the studio. I don't know what the faders do. I don't know what anything does. I don't really care. And then when Steve and I started recording on our eight track, I started learning how to record. And, you know, and then after I, after we split, I got myself a four track Tascam because he kept the eight track and I was like, well, whatever, that's fine. And so, cause I got to keep my guitars. So that's all right. And then um, we kind of did that like, well, you know, I bought these for you. So I said, well, yeah, please don't take my guitars. Okay. So we kind of like, you know, you get this and I get this and that's fine. And then um, I bought a Tascam four track and I learned, uh, I did, I married the devil on that one. And I recorded When the Sun Dies on, no, no, I'm sorry. I did, I married the devil on that one. And then I recorded When the Sun Dies uh, digitally. That was my first digital recording. That was on GarageBand, which I use GarageBand. That's the other thing. People are like, you use GarageBand? And I said, yeah, because that's the only thing I know how to use. So that's what I <laughs> used. And it's like, I kept it really simple because I wanted it to just speak for itself. I wanted the, vo the vocals to speak for themselves. And I didn't want to do, you know, because with I married the devil, I went crazy. You know, I had my, I had my friend Jesse play drums. And I played tons of guitar solos because I wanted to show all those boys that I actually can solo. I was like, you know, I want to show you what I can do. So I have lots of solos, lots of overdubs, lots of just like, look, I can actually play, blah, blah, blah. But this one, I didn't need to do it. I was the only thing proving I was doing was proving that I can even get through the damn record. And then honestly, dude, I had no idea it was, was going to be 90 minutes. I didn't even know that until I put it up on Bandcamp. I thought, oh, my God, this is 90 minutes long. Really? What? Well, just and then to, I um... thought, whoa. <laughs> Just to clarify something, um, because I don't think the division's ever been made clear, uh, Lori Bravo Raped, is that distinct from the rest of your solo work that's just under your name? No, or it's not. Or is that not. just it's, like your backing band? It, no, no. Lori Bravo Raped was me. And um, it was very, it was just that, it's really weird how I put Lori Bravo on the original cover of the, of the I'd Marry the Devil. I'm not sure why I did that because I was already going under the raped moniker at that time. But mm -hmm. the idea was, is, well, obviously that happened to me. And then I, it was really weird. I was thinking, we went and saw Snoop Dogg. This is just the weirdest thing. So me and some people had went and saw Snoop Dogg and um, he, he, he opened for Tool, man. And it was a cool shit. And the thing about it was, is I was listening to him and, and I was listening to a lot of gangster rap at the time. And I was thinking of how they took the N word and they took it back for their own. And when I was raped and it was once by a person that I didn't know and once by someone I didn't know it was within a three month period. And um, I thought, I mean, nobody, I thought, how come there's no band called that? I guess is the first thing. I thought, why not? Is it just too taboo? Well, guess what? I said, I'm going to take that name and I'm going to fucking make it something positive because it's horrible what happened. And I did. And, and apparently nobody ever called me out on it and said, oh, no, we have a band called. So raped it was first it was raped. And then one day I was just thinking about like, you know, Lori Bravo raped News at 11. And then I thought, Lori Bravo <laughs> raped. I'll use my name because uh, somebody I can't remember if it was maybe another person, a friend. I don't know that told me, you know, your name carries weight. And I thought, yeah, right. And I'm like, no, oh no, that's right. My, my friend who, who is 18 years younger than me is a computer guy like you. He, his father builds Boeing airplanes and the kid's a genius. And he was a dear friend of mine. And he's the one that taught me how to use a computer and how to even use a mouse. Cause his father had actually built his computer for him. And so he had been on the internet and he's like nuclear deaths on the internet. And I said, what? So anyway, with that said, there were like some MySpace pages dedicated. And I thought, what's MySpace? You know, I mean, I didn't know anything. But when he was doing that, that's what really 
that's when it really showed me that I was like, okay, so, all right. And then, yeah, so Lori Bravo raped and raped and all that was me using, putting the weight of my name, because he said, your name carries weight. And I thought, it does, apparently it does. Okay. So then I had a Wikipedia. I thought, well, who made that? What does even Wikipedia mean? <laughs> so, you know, I didn't know anything. So anyway, when he did that, then that gave me that. So then it became Lori Bravo raped. And then I went under that for a while. And then we never made a record under that. As you can see from the band camp, it was, you know, there's Lori Bravo, there's raped. And then there's no Lori Bravo raped. There should have been. And the album would have been Black Rabbit. But that never happened because me and my friend David, who played uh, bass on it, were too methed out of our heads to ever really... We actually, I actually have all the recordings and they're actually mixed pretty well, I might add, even though I was methed up beyond all recognition. Apparently I did pretty good. Yes, yeah, someday, someday they'll, they'll see the light of day. They'll, and then some songs did actually see the light of day, but they came, like the one is Fry Park. I wrote that when I was with David because we were listening. He loves like Guns N' Roses, um, Alice in Chains, uh, Steve Ray Vaughan, and these were bands I'd never really listened. It wasn't that I didn't listen, I just didn't, wasn't really into and never got into bought albums by these people. And he was like, oh man, you know, so he had all these videos and we watched and I was, we were, one night we were methed out of our minds and we were watching Alice in Chains videos. And I was like, I need to make my own Alice in Chains song and sing in thirds. And he's like, yeah, we should, because he knows voice, because he sings too. I said, let's, let's write something. So I sat down and wrote began to write what become Fry Park and um, I started writing about addiction and then I thought yeah we need to sing in thirds and then um, you know nothing ever happened but then I saw that as a memory on my Facebook I saw me playing it acoustic in my hat in my house I thought oh, I forgot about that song and so I thought this is so cool so it ended up on this record 10 years later that's why it's there and it's still poignant that's why I figured I needed to be on there because it you know, addiction was still part of my life when I originally wrote some of the songs on this album. I mean, it was, I was, I, I was coming off of it, but I was also have medication that I need to get off of. So as far as I'm concerned, that all, that worked, you know, as far as like that song being, that, that it worked for this record. In other words, I was like, okay, it wasn't just because I wanted to sing in thirds or Lane Staley came and visited me in the studio, but it just did feel like that though. I, I'm not even going to lie. It just was weird to do those vocals like that and and just i could hear his voice in my in my head when i was singing fry park a lot so yeah that was cool to do because there i got visited a lot actually by people jim morrison visited me during suicide and fentanyl and that was cool too it's just weird you know when you have like entities like visit like it's not like you see him you just feel the presence like you just get that, you know, wake up. You don't know where it is. And I just started going off on, because Suicide and Fentanyl, there's, I think the only things I actually wrote were the first two verses, as far as I remember. The rest of it's all improved in the studio while I was recording. Everything oh, else. Sounds, I, yeah. yeah it's, I mean, it, it sounds excellent. Thank um, you. Like, uh, let me reference what my favorite song was off of, uh, off of bare bones, I think, because you were describing it as sort of like neo blues, uh, which I definitely get. Because I think my favorite song off the record was uh, "Lay You Down in the Soil," which yeah, is that's, uh, very bluesy. It's so it's so crushing. That's I think that's one of my mom's favorites, but she just hates it because she it's so so crushing. It makes her want to die. It's like I wrote that song um, for my cat Footsie that died when she was six years old. She was only six, and I had just moved into my mom's house, 
And um, she was my favorite little, she was my, 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 my purple baby. She was like the newest addition to the uh, 13 children that I brought with me when I moved into my mom's house. And um, she, uh, she, one day, night we were hanging out and I was, had a friend that was staying with me. And the next thing I know, it's, we think she might've had a brain aneurysm, but all of a sudden her eyes were rolling back in the head. And I thought, did she hit her head? What's wrong? Her tongue was sticking out. And I fucking, I, I picked her up and I started doing mouth to mouth. And she died in my arms. And that's why I say your little lungs, they took your, my breath from me because they did. They took, it's like everything there is why I just wrote to her. And then she was the first person we ever buried in our backyard. And in Arizona, the, the, uh, the dirt there is called caliche. It's clay. And so mm -hmm. that's why I said you're in the cold hard caliche because I couldn't dig the hole. We had our la landscaper, Rogelio, bless him. I love him so much. He dug all of our graves. The people that we left behind uh, their bones, that is, um, we, uh, he would dig there. He'd always hate it. He'd see the shovel and think, oh no, who died? So, but she died and it was like weird. And I always thought she, you know, she's the youngest. So I spent, I figured she was going to be the one that I would finally get an Airstream and drive cross country with her and my music and just go play places, go play dive bars. That was, that's something I still want to do, but she didn't make it. So that's why, you know, that's all the lyrics are just me telling her, telling Footsie, you know, and then it even became more poignant losing, you know, Raven and Roma and Miso and Gala and Duder. So all those people, you know, died before we moved. And it was like within a year. So it was like, and some of those are her, her grandmother, and her steps or her uh, half sister and brother, you know, I mean, these people were people she's related to. So it was just kind of weird. But that's that's that song. That's why it's like that, because, you know, it's just uh, yeah, it's just hard to sing. It's hard to I when I sang it, I had to do it in one take because I was going to cry and I knew I would cry. And I wanted to get through it to where I could get through it before the crying happens so that when I do cry, then. It, because you know when you cry and sing or whatever, it's like you're you, you're you're all fucking choked up. And so at the very end, you'll hear me if if you listen closely, you'll hear me go because it's like then I release. But yeah, that was a, that. I'm glad you like that. It's a really it was really tough to record, but um, it's actually yeah, it's beautiful. It's one of my favorite songs though, as far as like just the way it's constructed, and um, I wanted to have that kind of Hendrix feel to it, like you know, during the, during the verses, you know, cause I mean, the, the, the chorus was actually after the song Easter by Patti Smith. I've been listening to Easter and I love the song Easter and she, it's like, do, no, 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 do, no. And then I sat down when I got home, I was walking, listening to it. And then I came home and I sat down in the kitchen and I took that song and then i slowed down i changed the key and slowed down the chord change and that's where i got no 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 and then it just ended up being that song and then mm -hmm. i just wrote it on the spot right there i mean all the lyrics just came right there like i had i didn't even take a shower just sat down i usually you know would be a sweaty and i just sat there and it just came like automatic writing everything do 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 like i was like a like a typewriter, she was like, nothing was thought of. Not, I don't think, yeah, no, not a single word do I remember thinking. It was just like, it happened. I thought, oh, this is what people call automatic writing. Okay, weird. But it was just possessed, you know. 
Yeah, no, it's a it's a wonderful song, and uh, the whole record is wonderful. Thank just, you so much. No, as an aside, I will say to uh, listeners to the show, obviously we we focus on extreme metal, but uh, we also kind of stretch out into extreme music in general. And I would say the bare bones is, you know, <laughs> it's as definitely heavy yeah. as it is. It's very extreme music that I think a lot of our listeners would appreciate. Yeah, I told I've told people that the cool thing is my fans are nuclear death people. And that's what's cool is because they or death metal people and whatever, and they're into it. That's what's cute. Like I have this one dude. I mean, he plays in this band and they, I mean, they look, make slip, they, 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 they dress up and they have makeup on. They're from Italy and they, they make Slipknot look like, you know, whatever. And it's like, these dudes are like the dudes that he's like, I was crying in my room. And I thought, Whoa, I made you cry. Cool. Because, <laughs> you know, and it's just like, I'm not trying to make anybody cry, but I'm just saying like, I like the emotional impact that it has. And, um, you know, yeah, yes, it's. I, I think it's very extreme. It's very heavy. It's. It's not. You know, even it, that's why Diamond Heart. I wrote it as a gospel, because the what I'm saying is not good. It's like it sounds like, oh, poor Lori, her heart is so damaged that nobody will love her. That's what it's about. It's about. It's just in case, like the same thing as the song Formaldehyde Heart that I wrote and put on. I'd marry the devil. It's the same idea, and um, but I put it in the gospel way because I thought. I had no idea I was going to move to the South. I think that's so fucking weird too, because I, when I wrote that, I had, I was I would think what I would never live in the South. Yeah. Right. Okay. I hadn't visited my brother in New Orleans yet. But um, anyway, with that said, when I wrote that, I wrote it as a gospel because I thought it would give it an uplifting feel, but the lyrics aren't uplifting, but they're not a downer. They're just sort of like, well, that's too bad, but you know, make it have a more of a religious connotation but that's why it's that's why because i wanted i thought i gotta leave the listener or something oh, uh, especially after suicide and fennel that shit's so heavy it's like you know you're just like oh my god you know it's like <laughs> and i thought you know i mean i know it's not like like i said it's not an intrusion where i'm talking about myself but still but there's enough in there you know to where uh uh, you know, and you never know what people are going to like. That's what I also like. Like, I'll think that I'll turn, I'll, I'll turn someone onto it. And then I'd be like, you know, they're probably going to like this one. And, and then they're, they tell me they like something else. So I'm like, what? you know, I always think, Oh, okay. I didn't expect that. So, you know, you just never know what, what people are going to be into or what not into, but yeah, definitely. I, I say that's just as extreme, if not more than nuclear death, because it's actually real. These are true stories. So that's, that I think that in itself is extreme. It's like real shit that I went through and I'm alive to tell you about it.
jump ahead of me And I don his full skin
We are back after listening to Lori Bravo's This Devil I'll Allow, Southern Ruby Devil, uh, off of her new record, Bare Bones. Uh, but now here's where we're going we're to switch gears a little bit and talk about uh, some weird, deep-cut nuclear death questions I have. Um, so uh, before this interview, I prepared by listening to a lot of your other interviews or reading them. And uh, I guess I'm just trying to kind of fill in some of the gaps that I was curious about All right. uh, when it comes to the history of the band, especially musically. So I want to start uh, in the demo era, which people don't talk about a whole lot. Um, so I went back and I re-listened to all the old demos. Oh, wow. Um, oh, yeah. I haven't uh, even listened. done that yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm curious about the... So, to start, I'm curious about the very first demo, Wake Me When I'm Dead, from 86. Um, it sounds 
very polished, like unusually polished compared to the later demos. Was that done in a professional studio? Or? All of them were. Really? It's just the each one was done in a, yeah, all of them were done in professional. We, ne we didn't even know you could not do things in a professional studio. So, <laughs> yeah, and we used, um, we went, we went to, uh, it's just the problem is, is that that one we lucked out, but, um, yeah, sometimes, uh, sometimes, sometimes we get lucky and sometimes we wouldn't. I believe, if I remember correctly, I can't be sure, um, because I not I don't have them in front of me. Um, but um, I believe each one was done at a different studio by different people, and mm -hmm. that and that was the problem is that, you know, some people don't get it and some people did. And I guess the first one we we lucked out, and whoever did it, I don't even remember, did it. Love yeah, it's it. because it sounds to me like it's it's really competing with other like quality thrash demos from around the same era. Um, it's it's unusual because the rest of the demos, even the first couple full lengths, honestly, that first demo has some of the best production quality of any of the nuclear death work. Yeah, that's interesting because I haven't listened to them in years, so I wouldn't be able to... But I'm, that's cool that you listen to them and you're telling me this now because I've, I've not got back and listened and, you know, and, and would know. But I can say that that like I said, the first one, it seemed we really didn't know what we were doing. So we were being led and we just, whoever record, I mean, I'm telling you, I can't even remember who recorded it for us. Yeah. You, but, you probably just had a, uh, a producer who actually knew the style. No, no, we never, no, there was no such thing as style. No, 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 not, nobody in any studio knew what in the world we were doing at all, at all. <laughs> So well, that no, guy I apparently think, stumbled across Yeah, I think right. this dude understood. Like I said, I wish I could remember who actually did it. Uh, who actually record? I mean, I don't know if it's in the liner notes or what. I don't remember, but um, I do know that when we did it, it was. Uh, God, I'm almost thinking it's Joe Crow that did our first full length album, because it's like I can't remember honestly. I just it's completely wiped from my memory. Um, who did the first demo? But anyway, um, yeah, with "Wake Me When I'm Dead," when we went in, I think we were we were open to whatever and so i think that might have been why it worked as far as like whatever this whoever whatever the engineer said was like whatever <clears throat> but <clears throat> but welcome to the mines and vultures feeding oh my god that one was the worst because that's the one <laughs> well i believe it's the one where we went in and i believe it was this band icons guitar player's brother that had a studio, if I remember, or this might be something I made up. But anyway, um, this dude, I believe he played drums. And so it was all about the drums. It's something I've said mm -hmm. before, but it's just, it, I noticed, I started noticing a pattern. And that was that every time you're in a studio, if the person plays music, and they usually do, if they're a guitar player, they're going to concentrate on the guitars. If they're a bass player, they're going to concentrate on the bass. And they don't really seem to be well-rounded as far as concentrating on the full band as a unit, the people we would go to. Not mm -hmm. all the time, but with those demos, absolutely. That guy spent so much time with Joel, and it was like, oh, my God. And then, of course, with drums, it's like, you know, kits are a million pieces, and it takes 45,000 years to set up a fucking kit. According to, <laughs> according to what 
according to this, but I can tell you that's not true because when I met my dear friend, Jesse Nelson, who's a master jazz musician who plays jazz in New York City, uh, she sets her drums up in three seconds. I mean, if you really know what you're doing, you set them up. It's like, I just realized that that was all a bunch of fucking bullshit is what I'm saying. It's like, <laughs> you, you can have a 20 piece drum set and set it up and it doesn't take three hours. So, you know, but this, this is just stuff that I didn't realize because, you know, you don't know. But yeah, the production, that's, it's interesting to know that because, um, I, like I said, I haven't listened to them in years. And um, I do know that Vulture's Feeding is like the carry-on for worm of the demos. It's got the worst sound. and it's <laughs> Vulture's not, Feeding is pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yet the songs are great. That's the sad thing. And carry-on, the songs are fantastic. It's just too mm. bad that where, where we went to record that um, it got butchered. But Vulture's Feeding has fantastic songs. But sadly, the production just didn't allow for it to really be able to hear. I think Welcome to the Minds of the Morbid sounds much better. Yeah, no, I, 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 think, I think a lot of people concentrate on Welcome to the Minds of the Morbid and Vulture's Feeding. So I won't, I won't spend a lot of time on those. Right, but I right. Am, I'm very curious about A Symphony of Agony. Okay, um, so that's my friend Craig's party. That's all it is. And... I was going to ask you, so where were those live tracks recorded? Because it sounded like maybe a rehearsal room show or a house show or something. It was a house party. What's so cool is I had this JVC boombox. And it had this cool, where you know how you turn, you have the dial that you record, you turn it up to record, and then there's a click. You can click it. And then it, I guess, now I don't know what this, at the, I would never know what a compressor is at this time, but <laughs> it had where you would click it one more and it could record live uh, music and it would compress it almost like your iPhones and things do where there's, it's not distorted. And because I like to record my voice since I was like in fifth grade with my little Panasonic, um, I used to use it to record things. And so I realized this and I thought, oh, cool. But then I didn't know I was going to be using it until <laughs> that idea until later, later. And then that's when... I, you know, that's when I realized it. I was like, oh, okay. And then the next thing I know, I'm realizing that, oh my God, you know, um, I'm a, you know, like we can use this to record. So we used to record all the, the other thing is I learned from John Lennon, his, his documentary, Imagine, uh, that you should archive everything. And so I immediately mm -hmm. began to archive everything. Thank goodness I did. And I still do to this day. I know uh, maybe you could call me a documentarian. I document everything, and I'm glad because that way I have a nice body of things to look at. And so we recorded every rehearsal that way so we could listen back and be like, whatever. You know, like, listen, oh, I don't like that. That's cool. I mean, that's how you, we wrote songs because nobody wrote anything down. I mean, Phil would write, like, lyrics down, or I would write lyrics down, but we didn't write music down. We didn't write down mm -hmm. notes or anything. We just fucking remembered it. And we remembered it by that. So we took that to Craig's and we had a, he had a house party. And uh, that's the result of the house party. It was just sounded really cool. And, you know, I always love Kiss Alive and Kiss Alive too. I said, we should put out a live album or like a live <laughs> recording. And then Phil's like, yeah, we, he's like, you know, he, he came up with the title and then the cover art. And we put it out. We thought, why not? You know, because we could, we, once we realized that we could put tapes out on our own, because, you know, that one's not recorded by a, from a studio, of course. It's us recording it. And then we, we made the, they're probably on the original Radio Shack, if I remember correctly. That's what we were recording at that time. Radio Shack, <laughs> you know, cassettes and stuff. 
So, you know, and then we just wrote it in there and then we put it in there and we sold, we sent it, you know, sent it off. So. Oh no, it's uh, it's wonderful. Uh, honestly, of the early demos, that's probably my favorite one because I think the, the rehearsal tracks that you have at the end of it, as raw as they are, that's probably my favorite rendition of the really early nuclear death stuff. That's really cool. Cause yeah, again, see, now you're reminding me that we even did that because I forgot about that too. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, I mean, okay. I'm just, I'm look, I'm glad I'm looking this up. Okay. So wake me when I'm dead was recorded by Joe Crow Correo. And that's what I thought. I'm glad I mentioned that before. He also recorded bride of insect. And that's why that sounds so great because Joe okay. kicked ass. He had his own home studio. He was a really cool dude. And he was also sort of a feminist because he realized quick, quite quickly how Phil treated me. And um, I came up with the, with the voice that I used because Phil pissed me off. But he took me aside and he was the one that said, look, I want you to take the anger that you're feeling right now and I want you to put it right in that microphone right there. And that's where uh, we were doing Seventh Nun and I didn't know what I was doing as far as vocals. And then suddenly the vocals just came out and that's where the vocals came from. It was oh, that. yeah. No, I, I definitely have uh, questions about your vocal performance in general. But anyway, uh, yeah, I'm glad I just yeah. looked that up. Cause so that's why, anyway, that's why it sounds so great. We went to him. And the thing is, I don't know why we didn't go to him for, I don't think the second one. I'm not sure why we didn't, or maybe we did. I don't remember. But I do know we did not go to him. I think he, I almost feel like he disappeared by the time we were, we couldn't find him for vultures feeding. So that's why he didn't do vultures feeding. Otherwise, obviously, it would have would have sounded great and you know would have sounded how it's supposed to sound but uh yeah but anyway I yeah i got so. you <laughs> okay so moving into uh some of the full lengths uh so bride of insect uh, as far as i understand was recorded in september of 89 um so i'm curious uh, about about your perspective when you when you guys were doing it were you aware of just how extreme it was compared to almost everything else coming out at the same yes, time. Yes, and that's why it made me mad. Absolutely. I was, I, was, I was aware of how extreme we were the moment we started writing our own songs. I mean, now mm. let's face it. Like, uh, I wasn't, I, I, I had not been writing that long when I started writing. I mean, I was writing, but it wasn't that kind of, the, these lyrics needed to be certain kinds of lyrics, and I hadn't wrote certain kinds of lyrics like that yet. So I was... I was learning how to write in the way that we would write. So to me, Lockjaw isn't that great because I'm not a good enough writer for what kind of story I'm trying to tell because I had never written horror stories before. I was a writer, uh, I was more prose and more um, uh, so, like die, more like uh, uh, journalism, journal, uh, journaling, I'm sorry, self-journaling. So mm -hmm. I, when I was writing, they were, even then I was writing things that were more autobiographical, but they were never going to be in nuclear death because the idea was to make horror stories with this band. And so Phil had been writing horror stuff and he had been submitting to like weird tales and those things for years. So he knew what he was doing. And so, you know, so with that, those songs, you know, it's like, to me, like Shrieking Terror, I came up with the riff for that. Uh, the, the original riff for that was me singing it to him, you know. Mm -hmm. But what I mean is, like, when we got to the album, I absolutely, I mean, I, that's what made me so pissed off because I couldn't understand how the people around us were getting signed to these record labels 
and we were what we were doing to me was so much better the, the whole thing to me is the musical quality was better and i don't mean that production i mean the quality of the writing was better than these people to me and still i feel that way i just never thought like a lot of these bands that people like i never thought they were that great they were like repetitive they didn't seem to have a dynamic as to how 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 many chord changes you could actually occur, do if you put yourself in the fact of not boxing yourself into power chords and and just make chords up because that's what we did we just make things mm -hmm. i mean i'm sure they're actual chords some some person that knows music theory would say oh they're playing a do to do and do do well i don't know any of that shit so <laughs> I, we're just making shit up and saying this sounds spooky and creepy let's use this and then the same thing with the lyrics. It was like, Phil's a great writer. I mean, he went to Catholic school. He did quit, but I mean, he's a very high, high intelligence. And so his writing was really, really good. And so that right there is like better than possessed in their dwell, spell, hell, and whatever the fuck. And to me, that <laughs> shit was boring. It was like, you know, and they all, and then they're fast. Like we used to call Slayer slower. And I've said this before, but we did. I love Slayer. They're, <laughs> they're one of my big influences, but we wanted to be faster because you're, you know, as a band, when you have a woman, you've got to work 10 times harder. And so I knew that we had to be 10 times more evil, darker, faster, more brutal than the boys. Otherwise we're not going to fucking have a leg to stand on. And that was my idea. I mean, I knew that I needed to be much more extreme, you know, and I'm, I'm so lucky that Phil, was an extreme writer because I mean, most of the lyrics that he wrote that most of the lyrics were written by him. And so I was playing the characters, you know, there, you know, I would be playing a narrator or I'm playing a character or whatever I'm doing, but you know, I never looked at it like I was a woman singing about, it. I mean, I don't, in fact, since he was pretty sexist, none of his songs ever even had, I think any females being the narrator, they were always the victim or they were some whore or whatever but regardless of that i was okay you know doing the playing these parts because it was acting so it's like super cool because i got to embody these characters and decide you know how i want them to sound and what what i need them to feel what i need the person to listen to the song to feel like when they're listening to me spit these lyrics at you there was just so much more going into it than these other bands is all i'm saying these other bands i know like carcass they were like oh yeah he gets his lyrics out of medical books i'm like i don't give a shit that sounds stupid and boring i was like so <laughs> fucking what then then how is that created you know and i thought and they were kind of rude to us when we met him in philadelphia anyway and i thought it was weird because i really really liked him and i wanted them to like me and i'm an anglophile so i was like oh they're english and you know, but they pretty much brushed us off and acted like we were just shit. So it was like, oh, okay, so you're those people. Because, you know, that's the other thing is maybe it's because I am a woman. I don't know. But um, I want to treat, treat you with respect first. If you fuck mm -hmm. with me, then yeah, I'll fuck with you or whatever. I want to fuck with you. I'll just go fuck, you know, fuck off, whatever. But you know what I mean? Like, I didn't want to, I don't want to have an attitude already. Like, I want to be, like, cool with you first. And then if you have an attitude, that's your, that's on you. But I never go with the idea of like, I'm going to come in there and do, do, do. It just wasn't like that. I, I, maybe it's the fat kid in me. I always want people to like me. So I always <laughs> tried to be fair and just, you know, I didn't like let the boys have the attitude. Like Joel was pretty friendly. Phil was never friendly, but that's his attitude. And everybody knew that. So it didn't matter. Nobody cared. There was just kind of a thing. And then when, with Steve and I, we never, we never toured or anything. So it didn't matter. Well, that that brings me to something I'm pretty curious about. Like one of the big things that attract me to Nuclear Death, um, 
which specifically is the lyrics. And it's interesting hearing you say that it was Phil writing most of it, because I've read different interviews with you and Phil, and it seems like I've seen, like, 50 different answers to the question no, of who is writing No, there shouldn't be, no, because I was very honest about the lyrics that I did write. I mean, my lyrics are going to come to you... Um, okay, the, you're going to have Lockjaw, you're going to have the song Nuclear Death, which would be the 30 on Christ, the whole acid rain comes mm-hmm. falls listless, that's mine. But the re- but but now, the third Antichrist is Phil taking nuclear death and rewriting it, and then he kept yeah, that part. Yeah. Okay, so but we know that that's me. Okay, so whatever, we thought that worked and it did. Okay, so that song. All right, and then, then it's him. That but what I didn't like is when he decided to put that he put music and lyrics on Carry On. That is not no. Because he and I were lovers, we were boyfriend and girlfriend, we lived together, and we wrote together. And those riffs are just as much mine. He came up with riffs, but I came up with all kinds of stuff because I'm, I'm not classically trained, but I did sing opera, and I'm a singer. So a lot of this has to do with the dynamics of these songs, have to do with me and how I arrange them with my voice. I have to go, well, maybe you can go, and then he play it, and I play it to him. So mm-hmm. I'd play guitar when I was sitting there. I never played bass when I sat down. I'm a guitar player. So I'd sit down with him and play guitar to him because I'm actually a better guitar player than he is. But that's just how it worked. So it's like, but then he would play it and whatever, and then he'd do, make his own thing. But what I mean is, but as far as the lyrics go, no. He, he wrote, believe everything on Carry On. I, uh, everything on, well, what, whatever, right of insect. Um, no, I'm looking at it right. Yeah, Necrobisa. Yeah, all that shit. And then, then my lyrics are going to come at, at the end, the very last song on All Creatures Great and Eaten. The song, the title song, that is all me. And okay. the song Bones the Lip, Steve wrote that. Okay. Those well, lyrics. But the rest well, of it is all, but the rest of it was Phil. Like I said, the EP is Phil, and then Phil skedaddled, and then after that, then I took over the lyrics. And, and of course, by that time, I had honed my craft, and I knew exactly where I wanted to take us next. And I wanted to take us into the opus that became my favorite album, as you know, which is the Planet Conchexial. But yeah. I'm just saying, he with him, yeah, there, I've never disputed that. The, what I didn't like is he went above us to, to Richard C. and said that he wanted to have full credit for the writing, like he wrote all the songs on Carrie. And I thought, no, you did not. You wrote okay, riffs. I understand. But yeah, the lyrics, absolutely, he wrote them. And well, like I said, they were, I mean, come on, you've read them. They're Guinea man. Sometimes I'll lay in bed and think of Guinea man. It's a horrible idea. <laughs> oh, we both have this fear of like having to be so broke that we'd have to go sell our bodies for science or do some sort of tests. That's where that comes from. Oh, I see. The fear well, of like, what if we have to, you know, you know, and then you don't wake up or like it says, you know, oh, you know, throw it away. I'm like, ah, I don't know. I love how the punchlines in these songs because it's like, what's going to happen? And, oh, my God, they, they, they fucking killed the guy. And they threw him away in the garbage. Ah! Or whatever. So, yeah. Well, I guess what Great. interested me so much was, you know, it's interesting knowing that Phil wrote the majority of it now. Because something I've always associated with this, which is obviously because you're a woman who is singing these lyrics. But something about the... Exactly. Something about the lyrics to Nuclear Death, especially the early stuff, is that it's... Obviously, these are horror stories, but they've always had a, a a sort of distinctly feminine 
quality. Well, see, what's me. cool is I'm his girlfriend. So what's neat is like, okay, the cover of Bride of Insect is me. It's like he just had me pose. And, and then there I am <laughs> licking the baby. We're thinking of that really cool, what, what, what was, it? was it called? Prophecy? What was that movie where, where the actress is sitting there licking her baby? Anyway, oh that's my where God. That, that was that was like an early Cronenberg movie, wasn't yeah, it? It's, okay, yeah, it's okay, okay, yeah, God, but that God, that's such the a great brood. The brood, the brood, that's right, that's right. Yes. Why did I think prophecy? I was thinking the the, the bear. Maybe we saw the brood and the prophecy at the same time in the theater. Anyway, yeah. So what I'm saying is that's what that is. That's I, that scene was so, and he always had this really weird fear of babies. That's fetal lament. You know, he didn't like. I'm glad. I was going to bring up fetal lament specifically. Well, yeah. I don't want kids, and he eventually had kids. That's what's great quite funny but when he met me i've never wanted kids and so you know we always had this thing about ew birth and birth is broke you know so ew it's nasty so that was cool because that idea and then he had me and then if you remember that we decided we thought we were cool i don't know if we were the first death metal band to do it but i believe we were one of the first people to have a different cover for the cassette so we thought that would be neat and we did it and that picture is me sitting in front of my Christmas tree with my pajamas on. And then what he did is he just <laughs> repurposed it and made it what it is. But that's what it is. It's literally a picture of me with my ponytails. Or I think I have braids. But I'm in PJs in front of the Christmas tree, and the Christmas tree became that creature. And, yeah, for Bright Events, for the cassette. So, so what cool. I mean is that the, when you're talking about feminine, he, a lot of this is – there's a lot of me in there, even though mm-hmm. it's not me. You know, he's not well, writing think- autobiographical, but he is, like – you know, and he also had this fear of women. That's the thing. I mean, I don't know, I don't know what he thought I was going to be like. But I was young and dumb, and you know, and 19 years old, but never had a boyfriend when we met. And you know, he was pretty and only had one girlfriend, or whatever. But he was like a couple years younger than me. But the thing is, is I, when we met and stuff, I, you know, I was like just so enamored of him because you know, I, I'm all about mind. Like I like looks, but I'm really about the mind. That's where I fall for a person is their brain. If they're smarter than me, that makes me excited. That's why I think my brother is so great because he's smarter than me. It makes me sick. He's like a psycho smart. And I, people that are smart, they, they just, that's it. I'm, I'm there. So it's like, you know, he and I and the, the fact that we're intelligent people uh, and we're intellectual on that level was really cool because, like I said, when he's writing these lyrics, um, a lot of times it would almost be like I was acting it out anyway. You know, he'd know I'm going to act yeah. it out. You know, and it'd well, be I like, think, you know. Well, yeah, no. One of the things that made me think that perhaps you were the main lyricist was so sort of like you were talking about this. This sort of a lot of the lyrics portray what I think of as sort of distinctly feminine neuroses, which mm-hmm. I read in a lot of like female horror writers. Like mm-hmm. you were saying, this this fear of birth, this fear of sort of. Mm-hmm. infestation by an alien creature as well as you know the the main character so to speak in these stories being a woman a lot of the time these fears of rape and sort of eroticism and see, tied that's into so everything fucking weird yeah. because he i didn't know he had added an, an, a thing about women i learned obviously um which is weird because he treated his mother like gold it's very strange but it was a very male oriented household i lived in because he had two brothers and his father was very 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 sexist and uh and then and then him and then him and then his mom he was much closer to his mom 
And um, not that his dad was, his dad was a lovely guy, but I'm just saying he just had that old school, you know, white Irish sexist sort of way of being. He's Irish, mm-hmm. you know, Hampson, and he just kind of had that whole like, you know, whatever. But his mom's Mexican, you know, me. That was the other thing. We're Mexican. That's a half Mexican, he and I too. So that kind of also. But um, with Phil, it was weird because he, I didn't realize he had these fear, this fear of strong women, but that I learned that as I got stronger. And that's the weird thing because it's like, you know, I think he thought I was a little bit of a shrinking violet because I kind of was. I was like the fat girl that's like, oh my God, I got a boyfriend. He's cute. He's got long hair and now we're going to make a band and blah, 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 blah. So, you know, I seem all cute because when I like somebody, I seem to be a little bit more like, he, 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 you know, well, yeah, but then there's, there's the real Lori and the real Lori is a motherfucker. And so it's like, as I got more strong along and, you know, not, you know, saying no to things and stuff, then he couldn't hang. And that's the thing about that whole neurosis, as you're saying, is like, he's afraid of it. I mean, you know, he was, he seemed to be afraid of this, any, any strength shown from a woman and that, you know, you want to beat it down. You want to put it down. You want to keep it in the closet. You want to whatever. And I think that's the thing. That's what's weird about it. And I can tell you something else. He, I never saw these until he was basically finished with the, you know, he would come and present me the, uh, the story. Like I wasn't sitting Mm next to him smoking weed well I probably was actually probably answering mail <laughs> but I would sit and smoke weed and then he would write I wouldn't even say there were lyrics though because they're more like stories and then he'd say uh you know and they go here you know what do you think and of course everything he wrote he would usually do it sort of like how I do it in the things in one take it was usually never revised they were just great and it was like this is great and then it'd be like if it did need a body that's when we'd start going okay now we've got to kind of make it a song maybe this doesn't work here mm-hmm. like cremation because see I, I i recently found when i moved that i actually ended up with all of the original notebooks of this i had no idea phil gave those to me but apparently when i moved i got them so i got all of that old shit all of our notebooks that have the original lyrics from all of this written in his writing and well you need to writing, publish all of that yeah and it, well you know odin thompson and i have some some special things coming up so just wait but right. um but anyway, yeah, so what's neat about that is maybe he thought, maybe even though it was a really bad breakup, maybe he had some inclination that they'd be safe because I would never be like, well, I'm going to burn these kids. It's me and Phil. It's like, no. Is he, even though a horrific things that happened with him, I would. It's, it's still like, It's our work. Yeah. Yes, it's our work. And I don't yeah. do, I don't burn work. So I do have it. And um, yeah, there's a couple revisions on cremation, but for most part, like I said, he would come to me with the song you know, I'd be sitting there next to him in the bedroom and I go, whoa, you know, man, that's awesome. And then we, we'd wait to see Joel so we could, you know, and go, okay. And then we'd be like, you know, try to figure out maybe a riff around it or something. So by the time we saw Joel again, whatever that would be, uh, then we could uh, go to the practice room and prevent, present a new song. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, and that's, but I'm just saying, that's kind of how it went like that, you know, and then we would work on the music. A lot of times, like I said, he, the riff, sometimes the riffs would come from, from me and him because I am a guitar player. So sometimes what he'd do, I go, well, why don't we do this? Or I move, move, move your finger here. That sounds evil, you know, whatever. <laughs> but I, like I said, you can't really, I never, that's why I hated when he did that. Cause I thought, wait a minute, dude, you know, like we write together. That was the whole thing we write, you know, but I've never taken credit for the lyrics because that's, that's, those are him. I mean, that's him being afraid of women and weird things his his creepy uh, he was sort of a germaphobe so there was that going on um i never questioned it. it's fine i mean i'm a, 
you know, I'm a, I'm a kind of a cleanliness is next to L'Oreal and kind of person. So I'm cool with that. But um, <laughs> yeah, we're kind of, you know, these kind of weird, which is weird later when he ended up having a band with Joel that whatever, I can't remember what he's even called. Starts with an I think a. it was a eroticide. That one. Okay. So it's an E. See, that's how much I know. But um, then suddenly they have lesbian nuns and all this stuff. And I thought that was really funny because back in the day, um, I talked to him about lesbianism one time. We were ta- I was reading Sappho at that time. My parents had bought me a book, uh, her work, uh, Sappho, the, po- the poems of Sappho, and I had never written, read, read it before. And uh, he was like, oh, God, uh, you know, that's gr-. I thought, yeah, that's gross. And I thought, that's gross. I said, you're the only guy I've ever talked to that's ever thought that's gross. Every <laughs> dude can't wait for that to happen. Are you kidding me? And he was just like, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, and I thought that's kind of weird because, like I said, that's it seems like to everybody's dream. So I just thought it was weird when he told me that. And I thought, hmm. You know, so then later when that was going on, I thought that was sort of funny. And uh, and the period blood. You know, I paint with my menstrual blood. And, well, I did until I stopped because damn menopause. But anyway, I uh, <laughs> again, I wanted to make something cool as something gross because it's gross. Let's face it. Come on. That's disgusting. It's really fucking weird. Why in the hell did we have to do that? I don't know. But it's not fun when you're in third grade. But I can tell you, I had to do something with it. And eventually I realized some, it's sort of like temp, tempera paint because when you put egg, uh, you know, you use paint, you put egg in it, it's the same consistency. And I said, oh my God. So <laughs> he freaked on that. Like he was like, it, this is a person that writes what he writes, but it was like, ew. He was like Mick Jagger and can't get no satisfaction. You know, maybe, maybe, you know, call me later next week because I think you're on a losing streak. <laughs> okay, I, when I'm it's the I'm on the losing streak. So on that week, it was she used to call me the she beast week. Like, oh, she beast week. <laughs> Don't touch Lori. She's gross. And it was weird because I'm thinking this is a dude that like writes about decalbestiality. But okay, so yeah, it was kind of funny that way. I always thought that was sort of a weird. He really thought I think he I think he wrote like that because he didn't like gross stuff. And I think that make, that was probably his way of dealing with not liking a lot. Of, I mean, horror movies aside, gross shit, real gross shit, shit that's real, no. Like, I don't think he liked to, like, if I cut my finger, he wouldn't be like a vampire. You know, it's like he'd be like, you know, whatever. But I'm just saying some people are the way they are. Like me, if, if I, you know, I can smell blood a mile away. Somebody cuts their finger. I'm not going to go suck it, you know. But still, it's like, you know, I like blood. I'm a very blood-obsessed kind of person. But yeah, with him, it was sort of like, ew. So, you know, maybe that's where all that comes from. I really think so. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, necrobestiality in particular, I wanted to talk to you about your vocal performance, especially <laughs> on the early stuff. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I had guessed that you had either some sort of classical training or some sort of mm-hmm. background. Um, and then you ended up confirming it in some of the other interviews I've seen. Mm. Um, because you can hear in moments like on Necrobestiality or the third Antichrist, like mm-hmm. specifically on Necrobestiality, you've got, uh, you know, on that line, bringing forth his disease, you've got yeah. that really nice vibrato in vibrato, there. Vibrato, yeah. I and, got that. I uh, snuck that in. I snuck that in. I thought I was kind of lucky that way. Because sometimes well, it, you don't get to like, sneak it in, but I snuck well, it in and, I, and it didn't get also, pulled. Well, that's also on the third Antichrist, and you had been doing that specific vibrato even in like demo versions of the songs. Oh yeah, well that one that was, was lucky because, like... like I said, I wrote that part, so I was I was lucky because that one that one was that one was Joel seconded it too. He's like, we've got to keep the part with the acid rain, 
and then still feels like, well, all right. So he wrote the other thing around it, which it worked. Like you said, it worked when he did the third night of the He was like, no, we got to keep the Azurite part so Laurie can do the singing. Because people, yeah, see, Joe was more open-minded, so he actually was more about, like, Laurie can't, like, he he probably went a bit further in the band if he had been a guitar player instead of the drummer, just because of the fact that he did, he did, he did, he was okay with moving, moving forward. But, you know, with, with Phil, it was like, will, will we or won't we, you know, and so, yeah. But, um, well, that's something I'm curious about is just this <laughs> influence of, because you, you've got this very extreme music, and then that mm-hmm. sounds like almost a, a sort of Iron Maiden inflection or something in there. Like, well, guess who one of my favorite bands was? So you know what? That makes sense to me. You know, yeah. I mean, it's like, um, except I didn't have to shake my head up and down like Paul Diano to get that vibrato. It's natural. <laughs> so uh, well, I no, I thought curious. that was weird when he did that. I didn't realize that's what he was doing. I mean, I just thought, oh, okay, I guess that's how he. I didn't realize that that's how he gets his vibrato. But I'm just saying that I that was something that I've been born with. So mm-hmm. I didn't even know you didn't have a vibrato. I didn't know people couldn't have it. I didn't know you had to create it. I didn't know people would learn it. I had no idea. It just happens. It's just me. Well, I was curious about other possible vocal influences because I something that. I thought might have been an influence, although I don't know if you were <laughs> listening to them at the time, would be uh, Don Dottie from uh, Dark Angel. No, um, I hated Dark Angel. I always thought they were sort of like, well, I did. I just, well, I, I didn't hate them. I shouldn't say I hate them. I was Actually, about to say, how do you really hate nice. Dark Angel? Jesus. Well, I just didn't, <laughs> I guess the thing is we were being compared and people, it was just like, to me, like at the time we were sort of like, okay, but they, I still didn't think we were, I thought we were better. So I guess that's what I mean. So they weren't influencing okay. me for shit. In other words, they were after us anyway. So, you know. Well, now, no, my I mean, influences uh, are... Darkest Descent was 86. So I know, I, but I you got to remember, I was writing, we were writing before that, though. Like, okay. 83 and 84. We just weren't a band yet. But we were, we were already writing. You know, but like I said, yeah, him... Like I said, it's just... It's sort of weird because I'm already a singer anyway. So it was just like... You know, when I was singing with metal, that was easy because people sang in metal still, whether it was Rob Halford or fucking uh, whoever. I don't know. I can't think right now. Getty Lee. You know, I mean, I was trying to sing. Okay, first of all, these these men sing in, uh, I'm sorry, vibrato. They sing in uh, falsetto because they're men. Mm -hmm. And, And I'm not. But but my voice changed when I was 14, 13 or 14. I used to be a high soprano. And then mm-hmm. I actually, my voice changed just like a boy. It literally, I went through puberty and my voice changed and I went to alto tenor within a year. And I was in chorus, so this is how I know this. And um, I mean, aside from that half, it happened. My throat was all sore and it was like that, that fucking Brady Bunch with fucking Peter Brady. And he's like, when it's time to change, you gotta rearrange. Rearrange? Thought, oh my God, this, yeah, this is me. This is me though. I'm Peter Right, okay, so you know it. That's what I'm saying. So I'm yeah. Peter Brady. So I thought, how am I Peter Brady? And I don't even remember if he ever took me the, I don't think he took me the doctor. I think it just was one of those weird things that happened to me. So when that happened to me, then, you know, then I was able to start singing like rock and roll. I guess you could say it was like I started singing. It, I could sing differently than I, than before. So then I started singing because I, I mean, I was singing with, Everything I ever bought, I sang. So it's like if I bought a Linda Ronstadt album, which I did, I sang all her songs all the way up to Blue Bayou. And then when I bought Coolidge, I sang with her. And when I bought Anne Murray, I sang with her. And when I bought Boston, I sang with them. And when I bought, 
Kiss, I sang with, you know, and I got the Gene Simmons down, you know. Like, I just heard on WTUL, that's like the great college station here in New Orleans, uh, they played Going Blind. Do you remember that song? Like oh, God, it's been forever. Okay, so they played I, I was it. never a big Kiss guy, but I, okay, I'm vaguely well, familiar. That song is so creepy because, you know, I'm 93, you're 16. And it's like, uh, <laughs> it's a, I would say it was a trip, right? But I'm just saying, like, um, you know, Paul Stanley's a great singer. He's a great soul singer. And I learned, he, they're my first favorite band, so he was probably one of my first influences into in, that wasn't, that was a rock singer because I sang soul, already and stuff from listening to you know um, Aretha Franklin and um, uh, um, Ray Charles you know and Mm -hmm. stuff but then that came out and if you know you if you listen to Paul Stanley he I mean he might as well be fucking little Richard dude you know everybody come on you know I mean all those live (laughs) things it's fucking it's fucking soul and then you got Gene Simmons and, and Going Blind. I remember he hadn't perfected the growl he's going to get for all the rest of the songs he's going to sing. Like, you know, meet, meet you in the lady. It's, it's almost like Gore, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Gore, uh, um, what's his, Grover from Sesame Street. Yeah, right? yeah. But anyway, um, before that, this is more of a singing style. And um, I remember listening to that album and, and having that album. And, uh, listening to that and then you know imitating these guys you know singing you know so it's like i started getting more into trying to sing like a guy even then and then of course i got you know i would go out and i saw the sergeant pepper's lonely heart club band um fucking sergeant pepper's movie with peter frampton the bgs all that and i got the soundtrack i'd never heard the real original i didn't even know it was beatles because you know i didn't know a kid and i got that i learned every song sang every song there's a ton of people on there singing now so i'm going to sing all those styles and then i'm going to go back and find the real album and find those songs so no matter what i'm singing like a lot much more with men i guess is what i'm trying to say yeah so by I the time the that. metal came around ever all those men are singing high so then i had yeah. to go looking for the guys that don't because i mean getty lee He's not metal, really. I guess you could say prog rock, maybe. I don't know. Rush is Rush. They they rule. But I'm just yeah. saying, you know, you got all these bands singing. Um, I loved UFO. I love fucking early Scorpions. Um, I mean, I like all Scorpions, but I'm just saying I like early Scorpion stuff, you know, Klaus and, and, you know, Shanker Group. God, I love Michael Shanker Group. But, I mean, all of that stuff, a lot of these men were singing higher, register. And so, you know, it's just weird with the vibrato because, you know, I was looking for things that would be more where I could, the register where I wouldn't have to sing falsetto because we promised we were not going to do falsetto in nuclear death. That was, I mean, as far well, as I like mean, that's the main singing. In other words, I'm not going to sound I like assume, Brad Halford. I mean, I so, assume as a woman, your your natural like baseline singing voice would be close to a, a man's falsetto a lot of the time, right? No, but that's what I'm saying. It wasn't because it's like I my voice had changed, and that you can see you can see that from the thing is is, is nowadays is you can see that I can sing many different ways. Yeah, no, your different, your no, speaking different, voice is a little bit lower than the average woman's. Yeah. Different keys, you know, and stuff. And it, I mean, as far as like all the different voices I used on, on my my new album, you can tell the highs, the lows that I can go all over the place. But I didn't know that yet back then, so. Mm-hmm. I was really looking for styles that the people were singing lower. And that's when I found punk. That's when I found punk. And I found Wendy. And Wendy doesn't sing. I mean, Wendy has a, you know, it's a woman singing. Yes. But she, you know, butcher baby. She's like mean. And she sounds like she's. Yeah. And then Lemmy, 
let me kill my stir. I was like, oh, there we go. Because he was, he, he was the right key for me. If I wanted to sing Iron ah, Fist, I, I could sing Iron Fist with him a lot easier than if I'm going to try to sing with Paul Viano or if I'm going to try to sing with Bruce Dickinson. I mean, when I sing Run to the Hill, if I sing Run to the Hills now, I could actually do it because I know how to do it with my voice and what, how to use it in a way to sing higher. But back then, I didn't understand that. So I couldn't do Run to the Hills the way I would want to do it. If I'm going to sing it, I would want to do it like them at the time I'm saying. If I was going to, like, I, I was going to be in a cover band or whatever, when I tried to be in a metal band, I, I, you know, everybody wanted to, everybody to sound like whatever. Like, if you, if you play Iron Maiden, you need to sound like Iron Maiden or whatever the fuck. So, yeah. But all those bands, like I said, every one of those guys sings high. So I was like, you know, so, like, when I found hard, when I found punk and hardcore, and then I also found, like, um, I found uh, Motorhead, you know, and I was like, okay, good. Now there's some people that, uh, you know, and then I got into some other bands that were kind of weird that have not, they're not, I don't know if there's deeper vocals, but the vocals work, which is The Obsessed was another one. Because, mm. like, I love the band Raven, but that band Gallagher, but, I mean, he's, he goes high. So mm-hmm. I was like, well, you know, but like I said, now I could do it. And I mean, I can sing really high and do it really well. But that's because now I, I've been singing so long that now I know how to do things that I couldn't do because I didn't know then that I, I didn't know what to do, I, what, what to do just yet. But with those songs, yeah, it's like I was trying to figure out how to be, a, how to have a vocals that were more tough than the boys that I was listening to. Uh, for death, for extreme metal, death metal, thrash metal, whatever. Like, and oh, oh, I can't believe I forgot them. They were my favorite back in the day. Uh, Metallica. That was the other thing. James mm-hmm. has. He's sort of. He's. He doesn't really. His voice is. It's not like he sings really deep. He can, as we know. But you know what I mean. Like his. He, he too also didn't have the. High, he wasn't doing high register. I mean, they're doing. They, they aren't mm-hmm. going to sound like that because that would be. You know, no, that's not that kind of music. So that helped too, because they, they, uh, his vocals again, they're more gruff, and you know, you're not getting that that <laughs> like you know, welcome to the devil's playground. You know, you're not going to get that with that. So that's kind of that's where why I gravitated towards those people because I was like, okay, there's, you know, because I just knew like nuclear death cannot have the metal vocals. We cannot be doing Rod Halford. I mean, it, it's not going to work. And it's not going to be Biff Byford. It's got to be something. De- I wanted something deeper and more evil sounding. Oh, and uh, Kronos. That was another big influence. Kronos. Him too. Because he had this him, him and Kevin Hayborn from Angel Witch. Um, they both, even though Kevin Hayborn sings a little higher, he still, he sings and plays guitar. And that was originally what I was supposed to do. So that was the other thing. It was sort of like, okay, I better learn to sing. Because that was the other thing is how I'm going to sing and play at the same time. I have no idea. I, it's different when you play bass and you, didn't know, you don't know what you're doing because you just had to pick it up because we can't find a bass player. So that was sort of hard to get around trying to sing and play bass at the same time and do it with those vocals. And then trying to enunciate things that fast was, was evil because you know, I wanted it to be fast, so then I'd have to be able to sing fast. And put all of those lyrics in there, so where you, you probably can't understand it sometimes, but I tried. <laughs> all right, and now we're actually into um, what may come as a surprise to you and a lot of listeners: my favorite run of nuclear death material. 
which is from Carry On for Worm through uh, All Creatures Great and Eden. Um, these are actually my favorite records that you guys did. Cool. Um, Bride of Insect is cool, but I, it's still pretty thrashy, and I'm not a big thrash guy. But then Carry On for Worm, I know that the production isn't ideal, but I just no. Love those songs that are awesome. It, it's evil yeah. as shit. It that's us oh, in our yeah. element. I'm not even gonna lie. It was like that. Everything was going wrong, but the creativity was going very right at that point. It oh, was yeah. like, I, I think that's that's our Fleetwood Mac, you know, rumors record, really. That that this that's yeah, our yeah. no, it is. It's our wish you were here. People don't even want to be in the same room with people record, but yet it worked. And it's the Chris Reifert record that probably helped tremendously. Well, actually, I shouldn't say probably totally helped tremendously to to keep something happening i guess i well, don't know how is how is chris reifert involved well you know he sings on cathedral of sleep and vampirism oh i actually didn't know i just oh, looked yeah, it up as a reference and now i'm realizing that i i had no idea actually yeah yeah he sings on both those songs how did you get hooked up with chris reifert oh god you should probably listen to quentin Earhart's fucking radio show for that one um okay long story short Chris and I started writing each other. I fell in love with them and he fell in love with me. We talked for a while on the phone every night and we wrote each other letters every day and he would send them to my work. Phil, by this time, Phil and I were basically through as far as I was concerned. I was sick and tired of his abusive bullshit. But anyway, Chris decided that he would come out and sing to help promote us because they were actually already signed and going to Europe. And I thought that if he would get on the record that would boost us and plus mm -hmm. i wanted him on the record i mean i loved him i love autopsy so we had become really good friends and he came out and i got the flu and that wasn't good because i was planning on leaving with him and um in the meantime the day before chris reifert flew out we had gotten steve by that time steve was playing drums in the band of course Mm -hmm. And uh, Steve Cowan took me aside and he said, I love you and I'll do everything for you for the rest of your life. I will dedicate my life to you. <laughs> and I said, wow. And so uh, by the time Chris came out, um, I was already into Steve. I realized Steve was actually the person I was supposed to be with. And it was really kind of sad for Chris. It sucked. I'm sure it did. But he ended up sending me a plane ticket and I didn't go. I stayed with Phil or Steve and I was with Steve for 13 years. <laughs> so it's supposed to happen but that's what happened chris i broke his heart i i mean it's true he'll you know we we're good you know it's all good now but yeah he he came out and it's it's like catfish like you fall in love online and then except this was on the phone and then when he came out it didn't feel the same to me mm -hmm. i thought uh oh and I didn't know anything. I'm like 19, 18, or 20 maybe. I don't know. I didn't know anything about anything. Like I didn't know. I just knew I needed to get away from Phil. And um, I just had to get away from him. And I wasn't sure how to do it. Because he had mm -hmm. made sure to estrange me from my family. And so I had no way, nowhere to go. So the idea was, and it wasn't like that's the only reason. It's just we, we just, you know, Chris and I have this, a lot of the same likes, dislikes. He had a wide range of music he liked, which I did too. And Phil would only less, let me listen to death metal. Like he wouldn't let me listen to anything. Like he was very controlling. So I wasn't allowed to listen to death metal. I wasn't allowed to wear makeup. I wasn't allowed to do all kinds of stuff. So, mm -hmm. um, and with Steve joining, Steve was the young gun that came in and 
he just didn't understand any of that. He was just like, what? You know, I don't understand. And, and he just didn't get it. And then he started to get it. And that's when he was like, he suddenly just told me, he's like, I love you. And I want to, you know, be with you for the rest of my life. And I said, all right, sounds great. And that was it. <laughs> but that, anyway, that all happened during that recording because I got the flu. And see, what happened is the fates gave me the flu. So because the fates gave me the flu, I really didn't feel well enough to be trying to do little, you know, sealing kisses behind closed doors over here, whatever the fuck I was thinking I was going to be doing. I knew I was going to have sex with the guy because I'm not that kind of person. I'm very goody-goody when it comes to, I mean, you know, I was like Miss Goody Two-Shoes. So it was like, not really, but I just, the whole idea was, was I going to pursue something? And I couldn't because the fates gave me 103 temperature and I sang those songs with that temperature, 102 actually. All those songs on Carry On were sung while I was under the influence of a huge fever. I was super sick. So they'd have me get up. I'd go, oh, and then I'd go back and lay down. And go oh, they sound great. Well, <laughs> the vocals like I are said, awesome the, on it. the vocals are really low because deep because my voice was all fucked up and hoarse and sick. Um, people always wanted me to redo it, or not redo, I'm sorry. Uh, I guess they thought that I would do that again with the EP, but it didn't happen that way because it was never supposed to be that way. I'm glad they sound great to people, but what I'm saying is they were not, I was not at my best. And during the song Vampirism and Cathedral Sleep, when Chris is singing the backing vocals with me, we're both screaming at the microphone. He had to hold me up because I was so sick I couldn't stand. Oh, okay. So yeah, I was yeah. very, very ill during that record. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons I like Carry On For Worms so much is because it feels like it feels like everyone in the band is sick. It it, it feels like there's so, something horrible is happening in the studio there that just doesn't doesn't really line up with expectations. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, it's just, it, it wasn't. I mean, it's like by that time, I was already way over, I mean, I, I wanted Phil. I wanted to get away from him so bad, but I didn't. But, 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 music is always first, as you know with me artist first mm -hmm. and the music was still good enough to stay and suffer it because that was what kept me there i would have ran away if, if if the music had suffered if the music wasn't good i would have left earlier but the music was so mm -hmm. great with these people and, and it wasn't like how you can find a drummer and you can find no i knew these were the people and finding steve was so lucky because steve was influenced by joel he was in a different band with his friends called Demon Cubes, and he really thought Joel was great, so he was trying to imitate him anyway, so we got him perfectly. He was 19, yeah. weighed 120 pounds, and he was badass. And he's also a jazz drummer, which is what well, yeah, I was I looking saw, for. Someone I, I who is a little bit more, uh, uh, just a little bit more what I want, was looking for to move into the next direction. And he was also reliable. He would actually show up, whereas Joel, you'd have to hope he's going to show up to practice that day. So it was like that kind of thing. And, um, you know, so because I was frustrated with Joel, too, like I said, I was sick and tired of his attitude with his girlfriends mm -hmm. and all the drugs and whatever else he was always giving me. You know, he, he wasn't like a big drug addict. It was just it was always about, oh, yeah, I got really scared up last night, stayed at this girl's house and blah, 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 blah. And I'd be like, yeah, well, that's great. You've been sitting here for three hours waiting for you. Thanks. You know, it's just kind of I just got tired of it. And then I would get in trouble for it. Because, you know, Phil would never say anything to Joel. So I was in trouble, too. If I didn't yell at him or do something, then he's like, you know, then Phil would get mad at me. Well, how come you didn't say anything? And I think, dude, yeah. he's finally here. You know, can we just play? Because, he's, you know, we've been waiting three hours. He's finally here. You know, let's just do it. You know, because I've just, uh, yeah, because, uh, you know. But um, 
you know, I was kind of the manager too. In a way, I didn't want to be the manager, but I'm just saying that was my that was what they gave me that job basically. So it's like sort of like boo. But yeah, so that al- that album is very. It's not disjointed at all. The songs are great. I mean, they're they're very much more um, what we wanted to do. You can see that r- production or not. The, I mean, you know, they're the songs and vampirism. Mm-hmm. Vampirism was written about me and Steve actually. Mm. If you read the lyrics again. I finally got Phil to start letting me go out on my own. And what, what I used to do is I would go out on my own. This is what at the very end. I mean, when I'm trying to get, I actually tried to break up with him and he literally wouldn't let me. He's like, if you break up with me, I'm going to kill you. So I said, well, all right then. And I believed him. How, little did I know how unviolent. I mean, I'm actually a lot more rageful. If I say it, I probably mean it. But he, he didn't mean anything. I had no idea, though. I was afraid of him. So. I finally, he finally let me go out and I would go out with Steve once a week. I go out with Steve instead and just go have, you know, hang out with my drummer. Well, obviously I can just, you can just imagine what we would get up to. So eventually Steve just pulled up at his truck one day and moved me fuck right out of there. Mm-hmm. And that was it. He was like, he took me and he took me to his house and I never left. And that was the end. So it was like, you know, and then, you know, we knew that Phil wasn't going to stay in the band. We just let him kind of quit on his own. I mean, you know, he's like, I'm going to, I, you know, I kind of just fired him, but it was sort of like we knew that he was going to quit. He wasn't going to be, how could he really literally be in a band with his ex-girlfriend? Come on. But. Like it wasn't going to work. It wasn't going to, yeah. I mean, I, I would, it would have been okay if it would have worked, but we knew that the EP was the end. That's why I called it For uh, Our Dead. I was about to say, but before he quit or got kicked out depending on which interview I'm well, no, and reading. He did. He, he, no, and I, like I said, again, he literally, I, I said, it's almost like I, you can't fire me because I quit. That's it. It's like I ah, said, gotcha. I, you, I said, I'm fine. I said, dude, you're fucking fired. And I mean, I thought that was almost funny. Cause I mean, it was like, you're fired. And then he's like, He's like, you can't, he's like, I quit anyway. But you know what I mean? So whatever, we were, it was almost like a funny thing. Cause by that time I was so, I was with the love of my life and I didn't give a shit about anything. I was like, I was like, oh my God, I'm finally going to get take, to get, take guitar back because I missed playing my guitar. I really did. Well, I wanted to play guitar. Real quick. I would like to touch on right before Phil left, uh, the For Our Dead EP, which yes, I think do. is. For Our Dead is my favorite nuclear death recording. Isn't it Full fucking stop. great? It's incredible. It's, I, it, it really I wish cool. you guys had been able to harness that energy into a full length because that is what I think what I think about when I think of nuclear death is songs like Days of the Week. Um, Days of the Week is one of my favorite old school death metal songs of all time. It's Music, well, lyrics, everything about it is super influential to me. I mean, if there's one nuclear death song that still influences me to this day, it's Days of the Week. Well, then you can thank Steve because it wasn't that he wrote the lyrics because he didn't, but he was the influence that pushed us to finally where I wanted to go, which was out of the box. I wanted mm-hmm. out of that box. And that's it, we wouldn't have even used a flanger if it hadn't been for Steve. That well, was yeah, his for, idea. Because I mean, that's for the whole dead, thing. For Our Dead really sounds like that perfect transitional point between this older kind of like grinding death metal stuff and the more abstract stuff that would follow on All Creatures Great and Eden. And there's something about that that precise moment in time. I mean, that EP is only 10 minutes long, but I think that is 
that's the apex to me, at least. Well, you can, it, and it makes sense because that's, again, that's, that's why we rewrote The Third Antichrist because we were starting over. That was, mm-hmm. this is us trying to start over with, with me thinking maybe, just maybe, it could work with us three. But I was very, something about Steve, before he even said that to me, I was very drawn. I mean, every picture, I'm looking at a picture right now of us, and you see me, I'm leaning towards Steve, not not Phil. Mm-hmm. I was just so beaten down that he was my only, I mean, it was like, I thought, if we don't, if this doesn't work, I don't know what I'm gonna do, because I knew I couldn't stay with this person and I knew that that but I wanted the music so bad you know that I I was willing to continue to suffer like I said and Phil was at the peak of his his powers with lyrics obviously in those songs mm-hmm. they were just we they just went off in these fantastic and of course Phil was a person, a Catholic school dropout. So Perch of the Evil Minds of Splatter-Day Saints, he always had lots of uh, religious iconography. And um, and I don't know, man, it was just a really cool, it was a horrible time, but yet it was a cool time. I, this is what's so weird, it was just so, and then the other cool thing about this, okay, what I will say that it was cool is that we um, <clears throat> we also had the whole thing of allowing me to do the artwork finally was allowed and that was Phil influencing or I'm sorry Steve influencing Phil to allow me to do it that's how mm-hmm. we got it because Phil was so, like so never wanting me to do on, artwork so the cover art on for our dead was yours oh absolutely okay yeah you can see it I mean you can see the difference to me it's fine art the other ones are drawings this is real this is like what art should, I mean I'm an artist I'm a visual artist so for me I wanted to show that I mean Phil's more like a comic book artist and that's great, but it was never what I was looking for. And then I also wanted to make sure, like if you look at the portraits that I did for Carry On, those are badass. They're not mm. just some scratching with a pencil. They're fucking real portraits that I worked very hard on. So uh, he never well, allowed, I mean, I, he allowed me, he just didn't allow me. So the whole thing was for our dead, I wanted, I, I took over and I wanted to make the May meat pole because I was born in May. And I titled it, which I hadn't got to do since the first demo, For Our Dead, which is my idea, because again, I was we were making it for our fans. And I hate pe- the well, word fans. Well, that's interesting because I, I thought that what was depicted on For Our Dead was uh, the corpse tree. No, it's, the, it's, a, May, it's a meat pole. It's a it's a May meat pole of them. It's it's corpses running around instead of ribbons. They are entrails. But you could yeah you can do that. That works too. Yeah, because Phil has mentioned. I mean, the, I believe the cor- that the meat that the meat pole. I mean, the original May pole would be of tree anyway, wouldn't it? So yeah, yeah, yeah. that works. Well, no, I was just curious because Phil has mentioned in interviews and with some of his later work the idea of the corpse tree being a. A, a sort of creative cycle that he continued in some of his own music later on. So I, I was just curious about yeah, that. Yeah, see, now I don't, I don't know anything about that. All I know is that I wrote, I made that on my own, actually at Steve's. Phil never even saw it until it was done. I drew that at Steve's house, actually, because by that time I was living with Steve. And then um, the back uh, was us all 
cutting our fingers and putting, I wanted to put, have blood all over everything and, and have mm -hmm. our blood be given to our people, even though it's not, you know, it's, it's a print, but you know, yeah, but yeah. that was the idea behind it anyway. But yeah, I mean, like I said, you can think of whatever you want to think of. I mean, it doesn't really matter. It's, just, it's up for interpretation. But when I did it, that was the idea. The idea was that it's, I was born in May and I always liked the idea of the Maypole and how creepy it kind of is. And I took the idea of the Maypole and made it creepy. That's it. I and the I, and, yeah, and it, like I said, with the and and uh, yeah, so I, but that's the whole thing. Is I t I took over the artwork because Carry On for Worms on the worst artwork ever. I've always hated that cover. I hated that how much he didn't want to do it. I hated how he kept complaining about it. It was like he didn't he didn't put his heart and soul into it like the first one. The first one, no, yeah, he put it's his not, heart and soul. It's not good art. It's not. It's it's it, and it's weird because he knows proportion. That's the thing. Phil does know how to draw. And that's why it bothered me because he, 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 I don't know what happened. He just didn't, he just wasn't, it was like, he, he was just like, you know, he, he couldn't, he, I guess I think it's that he just kind of had like a, an, a writer's block of not knowing what to do for the cover. And um, yeah. so it just didn't turn out that great. And like I said, it kind of looks sort of rudimentary for him. And like I said, you've seen some of, some of the stuff he's done. I mean, he made Nuclear Ned, you know, he made a Feral Visera. He's created characters. I mean, he, it's really cool. Yeah. But, Finally, I got to take over, and that was cool. Because then, if every other album cover, of course, you know, is all done on shot by me, and then after that, that's it. I mean, my favorite cover is All Creatures. I think it's one of my favorite pieces of art that I ever painted. And well, uh, there we go. Because I was about to lead us into. Oh, <laughs> sorry for segueing. Oh man. No, <laughs> you you provide the segues. Okay. There, there <laughs> all Creatures, Great Eden, another wonderful record that is you know because i feel like a lot of people when they talk about nuclear death what they're mostly listening to is the reissue of like bride of insect carry on for worm always and those two mm -hmm. it's always those two and honestly they don't even talk about carry on for worm much you know it's just bride of insect it's like no there's another four well, I just think full it's length records that, after it. well what i think is neat that odin thompson's doing is he's actually doing our catalog backwards he's going to be the first person to re-release harmony drinks of me and i think that's oh, so okay. cool because that was our transition and that was my transition into showing guess what there's something coming and it's not going to be nuclear death anymore i can tell you that but that's all, mm. all those songs were written by me and steve but mostly me but what I mean is that I'm just saying he's that's what he's putting out in September 1st is that record. And I thought, cool, because I have, and, it, of course, the originals uh, that I'm still to, selling. To clarify but, for the listeners, which label is he with? He is with Moribund Records, which uh, he owns oh, Moribund, which is funny because that's you know, is putting it out. a okay. nuclear death song. Yeah. I mean, that's how much he loves us. He named his record label after a song. Wow. So I that, thought that uh, was neat. I know. I, I've never known the name of the guy behind Moribund. So that's Well, his that's name's really Odin cool. Thompson. And yes, it's his real name. He is from Norway. And his brother's name is Tor. It's real. Yes. They are Norwegian. <laughs> I know he always says that. He's, he's like, I just want to let you know it's real. Because I said that's kind of funny. He's like, no, I really am Norwegian. <laughs> All right. So, so yeah. So all creatures great and eaten. Um, yes. So this is after the falling out with wild rags. Um, Thank goodness. Yes. And I'm curious. So obviously wild rags, we all know you got fucked by them. So did everybody mm -hmm. else. Everybody you did. Know? Everybody did. <laughs> um, but I'm curious. So was this record ever actually released on CD? Because I know there was the cassette yeah. edition you did, and then there was the re-release on vinyl later on with For Our Dead. Was there ever a like full CD release of this? 
Well, yeah, now, I mean, Floga Records has done it. You know that. That's, I mean, it's out, it's been out there. Yeah, with the, he did the vinyl. Oh, was and the, I, I wasn't Oh, yeah, aware. yeah, yeah, I have all of those. Yeah, Floga Records from Greece. He uh, he works with Ted Tringo and, um, wait a minute, let me think, did Ted Tringo do it too? No, I think it was just Floga. Yeah, I think it was because Floga also did our full length. He did the Planica Shexiel and he did uh, the gate, he, he did the gate fold. Like, he did my dream. I always wanted to have, like, a Kiss Alive where you've got the booklet inside. Well, when he did the Planica Shexiel for me, he put, he did the uh, gatefold of the entire 18-page storybook of The Slime of Blood in there, which I was just like, oh, okay. my God. It's been, I've been my published novel now. <laughs> but um, really, no, it was just, but anyway, yeah, Floga Records, um, Georgios owns Floga Records, and it's been released on CDs a couple times, actually, since then. And, um, but yeah, the cassette was basically because we couldn't, at that time, CDs, this is when CDs used to come in the big, long box. Remember that? Yeah, the long box format. Okay, okay. So we couldn't afford CDs at that time. So that's why I ended up on cassette. That's the only reason. Steve and I just couldn't afford CDs. We tried, but we just couldn't do it. At the time, it was really expensive to make CDs. So since we were doing this self-released, we did go to a a big studio to do it. Well, a a larger, a a professional studio. But we, uh, again, Odin Thompson and I have some some, uh, special things because I found all of our, me and Steve's rehearsals for all our creatures, Planica Shexiel and Harmony. Because we recorded Ooh. everything. So I've got all kinds of, you know, rare, yeah, it's cool as shit. And I even got one of those thingamajigs. It's, a, it's where you take a cassette tape and you can put it into your computer and make it, turn it into digital. So yeah, because all this is on cassette. Steve and I were using a Task and Mate track, so we had a cassette, of course. And, uh, but anyway, we went, when we did All Creatures, we went and we, we found this great, um, we only used him once because again, he disappeared for the other. But um, his name's Steve. I can't remember his last name either. But he's the other Steve. Steve, too, is what we called him in the studio. And he did our, he engineered our all creatures and did a fantastic job. That's why it sounds so great. And by this time, Mm -hmm. of course, again, I was with Steve. And Steve had a great sense. He's who got me into recording because he liked the idea of recording. And he thought, well, let's buy. And he's also just got that kind of mind, an engineering kind of mind. And he's like, let's just get an eight track. And we'll learn how to use it. So we did. Yeah. And so we did. And the, and and so uh, so then I understood. In other words, when we went in there, we uh, we had what we would call the Bible, and we would everything was written out, everything was completely mapped out. So when we went in there, we didn't waste any time because that was the other thing is you know how you have to pay studio time. Well, our studio time back in the nuclear death days was never paid by anybody but either me, my parents, or I should say I shouldn't say me. That's a lie. My parents paid for most of our studio time during all I, of those days. I know they paid for Bride of Insect, at least. They sure did, yeah. And, and and Joel did pay for our first demo. He was the one who, who paid for our Wake Me When I'm Dead demo. So that was cool. But I'm just saying, so parents, whatever, paying for this shit. So um, All Creatures is self-released, so me and Steve are paying for it. So when we went in the studio, we saved, instead of, we saved, most of our money went into the studio, I guess is, is why we could make CDs. But so anyway, when we went in there, um, we had it all mapped out. So there was no timing. The timing was perfect. We didn't have any lag. And this is also when I found out that drummers don't take three hours to set up kits. <laughs> they don't. They actually might just be able to set up a kit, a full kit. And this is when he, I believe this is when Steve went to a double bass pedal. I think he got rid of his bass by then and only had the single bass drum. I think that's another thing that we also did. 
is that um, just to pare down, we didn't need the double bass. We thought, we're, what are you, Lars Ulrich? You know, we don't need it. And um, so that was another thing that we did that actually yeah, made it easier. I mean, to set up is when you have, you know. So, um, but yeah, when we went in there, it was very, it was just very, it was cool. It was like the first time it wasn't stressful ever. So <laughs> that was weird because I didn't know that you could be in a recording studio and not feel extreme amounts of stress, but we didn't. It was just great. We went in there and it was like, you know, these two madly in love people making this amazing album that had been written, by the way, most all of the lyrics except for those two by Phil, and the, all of the music was written by us. I wanted that. I wanted. That's why I put Nuclear Death. Of course, Phil came up with the guitar riffs for everything but Bones of the Lip, and of course, All Creatures. I wrote that whole thing myself. But what I mean is, he came up with his riffs. But Steve and you know, Steve came up with with riffs on bass, and then I also came up with riffs on guitar and bass too. Like we were kind of expanding. So that's mm -hmm. why I put Nuclear Death, because I didn't want Phil to get that credit again, like he did everything, because he didn't. But he did do all of the lyrics except for Bones of the Lip and All Creatures Great and Eaten. The rest are all written by Phil. And I have no problem saying you. that, because they're fucking fantastic. I mean, they're, it's like, they're, you know, they're great. It's like, it, but All Creatures was cool, because that was me being, that's me transitioning into real songwriting. It's like, that's when I finally got to go, okay, I think I know how to write for Nuclear Death now. And we had, we all love cats. So I had our cat Blodo and I, uh, I want, of course I'm trying to compete with Phil here, right? And <laughs> he had written Lurker in the closet. See, oh, Phil also was a big homophobe. I forgot to tell you that. So I didn't, and see, this is before I really knew what kind of person I did. You know, I didn't really know what kind of person I was, but I didn't feel any animosity towards gay people or I was very all about like everybody get along and very anti-racist because, you know, my grandparents took me to Native American communities. I'm half Mexican anyway, and I'm also black. So, you know, I don't know. I just, it wasn't like that. So Lurker is just a story. And I realized that, but he was homophobic. So that kind of, I was, I I was about to say, I was, I was wondering <laughs> with that revelation that, yeah, Lurker in the closet is uh pretty uh pretty clear about that right and then of course it's the 80s and i don't know if this makes any difference but back in the 80s i would be like you fag and it wouldn't mean you gay person mm. i don't know if you know that because from i don't know if you're too young for that but back in the 80s people, oh no fag. that was still plenty of a thing plenty okay of but, a it, but it never meant you were school. gay it was like you're a douchebag you know we didn't i didn't really yeah. even realize that that's what it was a slur okay let's put it that way so anyway, mm -hmm. I'm just saying. So Lurker in the Closet is, but again, these are stories. These are not, you know, but he was kind of homophobic. But, um, you know, it's not like he was mean to people. It's just he just kind of had this attitude. But, um, but then anyway, so then with, with all creatures, my idea was that I wanted to take, I wanted to take the idea of per perverts. I thought, okay, I'm going to take perverts. It doesn't matter if they're male, female, what. And they're being perverted. And then the cat is going to be dumb. It's going to be so disgusted. It's going to go and eat them from the inside out. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of trying to, you know, compete with them for that sort of like, oh, I can be creepy and weird. And yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of a funny song the way it is, because it's like the cat, the cat's just seen this. And it happens to be that these two men are gay, but it ha or two, there's two men, but it has nothing to do with being like against gay people. It was just it's these two creepy dudes and the, and they've been being mean to the cat. Now the cat's going to get revenge. That's all it really was. It was a revenge mm -hmm. song for cats. 
And I, but again, I was giving this angle thinking, you know, whatever. So, you know, and again, there's songs and stories. And to me, songs and stories shouldn't have, you should be able to write about whatever you're going to write about. And it doesn't mean that it has anything to do with, you know, what you think or believe. But anyway, yeah. So, and then if you listen to the very end, of course, that was when we did our little tip. I was doing a little tip, a little taste for the planet Kashexia, which was already going to be in the works in my head. And that's where that beginning you know, the very bad, if you listen to the whole tape and let it run, you get that down, 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 down. And that's the very first opening of the Planet Cachexial, of course. Yeah. And I just thought that was so cool because, you know, I had just learned bands do that where they like you listen to a tape and all of a sudden at the very end, you're like, oh, there's another song or so I wanted to do something similar. So that's why we did that. So now we get to the Planet Cachexial. Um, oh yes so the way i scan this record as um is essentially an ambient album and so where did your interest in that style of music emerge well first of all um this is me and my element i mean i'm i sang opera and i was classically trained a bit not a lot um but uh I always wanted to make a soundtrack, or I shouldn't say that. I always wanted to make the wall, but and heavy metal, but do it with nuclear mm-hmm. death. Those, uh, the wall is one of my favorite albums of all time, and the movie and heavy metal are two of my favorite movies, and I wanted to do something like that, but I never thought I could because hello. So it's like okay, and it just you know I don't kind of backburner or whatever, whatever, it's just something. But I had had the idea for the Planet of Shexiel as a story, Slumber Blood, since I was in sixth grade or I don't know, you know. But um, it just never materialized. And then with Phil, or I'm sorry, with Steve and I in our element, it's just after we did, after we record, because you have to understand the power that it takes to take music and go record it without the person that helped write it. And, 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 and that was really empowering for me because Phil threatened me and said, you know, we're gonna, I'm going to put it out with a different band. I said, do it. I dare you. He didn't. I mean, he never, him and Richard were going to put out all creatures themselves on a different, on, uh, with him having other people, but they never did it. So mm-hmm. we did do it though. And, and then we did it on our own. And that was very empowering for both Steve and I that we could do something on our own. So then when Planet Cachesco came along, well, fuck, because by that time we were so, we, he, his best friend introduced us to one of the worst things you can introduce a band to and that's crystal meth. And so <laughs> I became de- obsessed with it because I like being awake and up and it just, you know, and we just, we became meth heads and I started reading nothing but Philip K. Dick who also was a meth head and wrote a lot of his work on meth or speed, uh, probably not meth, meth, but speed anyway. And uh, all, we just, we, uh, we isolated ourselves in our apartment and we decided not to listen to the radio or watch TV and just be art, do art only. And that's only 24 seven, nothing. And that's when I wrote Slumber Blood and I wrote it in a matter of weeks, the whole thing. And then I decided that I was gonna illustrate it. So I illustrated it and I wanted to make it like, you know, a storybook style. And, uh, you know, my mind was going a million miles an hour and we were always, you know, we were in our studio apartment with our cats and blah, blah, blah. 
you know, drugged out of our minds. And then, of course, there was the whole thing that I was, we had, we lived across the street from the library. So we were able to go and I would go get Dali and Warhol and all these documentaries, Frida Kahlo, Francis Bacon, blah, blah, blah. And just re, 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 watch, 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 re, 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 watch, watch, watch. And then uh, go back and work more. And then, uh, you know, whatever. And it was just like this great, it was this really intense time. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say it's a good thing to be being like this, but it, at that time, it was like this most beautiful, artistic time I've ever experienced with somebody. And he just off cuff one night said, we should make a soundtrack for this. And then that was it. The very next mm. day, we went to his parents' house, and we started, because we couldn't record there, so we went to his parents' house, because we left the Tascam and everything over there, so we could use, you know, we went out there to his house, to their house, and we would go, and we record all day ideas for these songs that, that I was writing. And I said, I'm going to make character, you know, I mean, we, he's like, let's just make all the characters. And originally, we were going to have it narrated, too, but I, eventually, I decided not to have it narrated. But um, yeah, and then the idea was to make all the voices and I was gonna be all the voices and I, I cannot remember if I'm the one that coined calling myself the woman of a thousand voices or someone else did, I'll never remember. I think it sounds like something I did though. It sounds like a Lori Bravo phrase, <laughs> but I don't, can't promise. So if somebody's out there that says it, I'm sorry. But anyway, um, you know, or tell me you did it. So anyway, but as a woman of a thousand voices, I wanted to really show of all, and so the idea was that all these things have to have characters and they cannot be speaking English. The only time is when I narrate into Zerelia that, and then I used something I used uh, for, for Vayat is actually called Crystal Hollows. I wrote it in high school when I was a sophomore. I wrote it for guitars class and I got an F because the guitar <laughs> teacher didn't like it because I was supposed to play something that was, that was like, I don't know, he, he wanted me to learn a song that was, a, I don't even remember what it was. And I came back with a finished original piece thinking that he'd think, wow, Mr. Stewart would go, oh, you wrote your own. No, he didn't. He said, well, I, this isn't the, I'll never forget it. He looked me in the eye and he said, well, now, Lori, this, you're not, this was not the, um, the, the assignment. And I just looked mm. at him like, what? You know, like I was so, I was just absolutely heartbroken because I wanted him, again, I wanted him to like me and I'm the fat girl and nobody likes me at school anyway. So I thought maybe Mr. Stewart would like my, like my music. And so anyway, Crystal Hollows was written when I was 16 and I just kept it in my little bag. And that's what Vayat is. So when you get to Vayat and you get to that beautiful do, 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 do. I mean, I just thought I was Randy Rhodes. When I wrote that, I was very influenced by D. I love Randy Rhodes and I love D and I love how he's classically trained. And I wanted to kind of mirror that. And also, if you listen to it, you can hear a little bit of a diary of a madman probably too. Okay. I can see that. But yeah, I, I, when I wrote that, I finally pulled that out of my hat and it worked perfectly for, uh, for it before into Zeralia. And then the idea too was that since I'm the writer, that I was the only one that wrote the lyrics on that are all mine and all the words are mine. Um, you know, I wanted to show that I'm a good writer and that like, you know, every, all the, Zeralia is a word I made up. So, you know, it's like, I wanted to show like, that's how, you know, that that's how, uh, how, how uh, creative I am, that I'm, I'm making up words and, you know, like Neldon or Ferri, the, the narrator. I mean, these are all things that I created, the words, I, they're not real. And Kashexio comes from the word Kashexio, but that's about as closest to a real word any of the words get. The rest of them, the rest of anything that's named, that's got weird names, are all 
they're, you know, like I said, they're, they're not, they're words I created, which I thought was interesting. And then there's the Dali influence of the art itself. And also Ger uh, Gerald Scott, I, I never know how to say his last name, Scoff or Scarf, it, it's, he's the artist that did the wall. His work is obviously very influenced. I mean, if you remember when you see the wife in the wall and how it is, and she looks so manic with her red hair and the mother, and I wanted to do that same thing. That's where Mother Chaos came from, that whole idea of, of creating these characters. But yeah, to me, that's my opus. That's the, to me, that is the greatest nuclear death album ever. It's, it's just so exactly what I was trying to do all along was make this, it, to me, it's classical music for modern times. That to me is what I was doing with it. I wanted to make a classical piece of music, compose music. And that's why if you look at the inside, there's got the composer's corpse hand with his baton that I drew. Because to me, that's exactly with the little drop of blood coming off. That's so cool. I love that because that's what it was. This is a composed piece. This isn't just some death metal songs. It's mm -hmm. not. This is a full, full scale. And someday I will have that film, dude. I will have, I will make that. It will <laughs> be made that somebody, I want somebody to animate and make it real and I will do all the vocals for it again the voices because it's I've I've you know god I could just see how cool it would look animated with my work being animated my my art you know but anyway yeah that's it's my favorite album it just it's it's Steve and I at the height of our powers because it was it was all us and he went off I mean that was the other thing I found out how what a multi-instrumentalist he really was I had no idea of all the instruments that he could play and he fucking he we played everything on there didgeridoo Finger Kenyan finger pianos, um, uh, fucking trumpets, congas, um, God, flutes, just all kinds of stuff. We, we especially in war dance. I mean, we we went crazy. We we didn't let anything hold us back. That was the thing. There was no more box for us to be in, so we could just. It was. It's like free jazz, man. It's fucking. But everything's very, very written. It was written. That was. No, there was no ad libbing. Nothing like that. No, it was very written. But I'm just saying. That's what it felt like. It felt like freedom. It felt like fusion. I, we were also listening to tons of Miles Davis, his uh, his, his and and the live performances, the uh, Agartha and Dark Magus and all these double albums that are like two hours long, of just crazy fucking shit where he's coked out of his mind. He's he's got his you know he's got his anodized uh, trumpet going through all kinds of fucking special effects and shit. That's what we were listening to when we made that record. It's a Miles Davis record right there. I see. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I definitely get the whole vibe of it being a uh, a soundtrack to a story, and uh, I mean that'll kind of lead me into wrapping up this segment, which is uh, Harmony Drinks of Me, which is the nuclear death record I have not heard because it is impossible to. to find on the internet. Well, so, I'll send it to you, dude. Give me your address. Well, I've got it. No, hold on. Well, here's the oh, question: okay. Why not? just upload all the cat's meow stuff to Bandcamp. Well, I'm not, I guess the thing is, is that I'm trying, I don't want Bandcamp. Well, okay. Bandcamp is for me. And the whole thing is I didn't want to, I didn't want to put nuclear death up there too, because I don't want to deal with it. I guess, does that make any sense? I guess, I don't know. It's just like, I want people to listen to my new music because I've been a solo artist for 21 years. Oh yeah, but you could make it like a, a second page, make like a well. See, that's uh, see, I did. I know. Just stuff. wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, so <laughs> I didn't know that 
I, I was getting to that. So I did not know that when I made my Bandcamp page. I had no idea that you could do 50 fucking bands if you want. So when I did it, I chose me. And then later, they're like, oh, no, you could make your own. You can make a Bandcamp for, oh, you can't. See, I didn't know that. So yeah. that's why that, that, that just hadn't happened yet. Because I was like, oh, you know, I don't want to do that. And plus, people keep putting it out anyway. So it's like, well, whatever, who cares? You know, I thought, whatever, you can buy it for me. And, and, uh, and uh, well, now Odin Thompson's going to be putting it out on a big scale, on a large scale. But what I mean is, I guess my thinking was just, I thought, well, everybody's heard all this shit anywhere can get it. So let me put my music up there. But like I said, yeah, that's why. And then, of course, it takes a while. And I don't have time right now because I'm too busy trying to promote my new record. So mm. it would, you know, it's like, that's one thing I do want to say straight up that people sometimes don't get, I think they, I don't know what they think. Okay, first of all, I don't have any friends. I mean, I do have friends, but I don't have friends. So <laughs> I have my mom, okay, and that's it, and my brother. But what I mean is I am an army of one. I have no team. I have no label support. I have no, no, nobody else. Everything that is done is done by me. That's also why maybe why I'm so accessible, because it's me doing it. I'm packing your, get your orders. I'm putting them in, I'm taking them over the thing, I'm doing it all, I'm getting your PayPal, I'm, you know, I just put myself, paid to put myself on Spotify and Apple and all those platforms I put up on the advert. I mean, everything I do is on me, only me. So it's hard to figure out where, and then I also have to live my life and take care of the house and the cats, because my mom can take care of herself, but I mean, I'm the, I'm the chief <coughs> housekeeper, <clears throat> And we just moved, and uh, I'm gearing up to play live here, so I have to actually practice my songs because I haven't played my new album songs. I played them once while I was here actually recently to see if I even remembered them, and I was kind of happy I did. But um, for the most part, I kind of got worried that maybe I forgot all my songs. It's like, you know, you're afraid that you're not going to, you know, that you're, you're dreaming that you're naked in class or something. Well, I keep thinking, I, I keep dreaming that I don't remember how to play guitar and Things like that, even though, you know what I mean? Just because I have anxiety yeah. like that. I have really bad uh, panic disorder and stuff like that. So, but anyway, yeah. But that's, it's not that it won't happen. It just, it, I can't, it can't happen yet, I guess. But anyway, yeah, Harmony Drinks Me, let's go. <laughs> but anyway, that's why they're not. I didn't know that you could do more than one page, and now I know, so. I can see that. Well, I mean, I, I think that it would be great for you to be able to post all the, uh, the Cat's Meow stuff. Um just because, I mean, there's, in, in terms of accessibility, I mean, now that you're saying that you've got your stuff on, uh, you know, on Spotify and everything, um, does that include? Well, see, and that's the thing is my, is no, see, that's what I'm saying. I, I just, I don't want to concentrate on nuclear death. That's the whole thing. I, I mean, I'm so glad that it's got, I've got my legacy now, but now I kind of gave it over to Odin. Odin will actually be releasing, these things will actually be released on Spotify and Apple, if I remember correctly. That's what he told mm -hmm. me, or maybe just Apple. But he's doing that. This is just for me, because to me, being a solo artist is what, you know, it's like, this is my life. And it's like that album, Bare Bones is something that almost killed me, literally. I mean, it really did. I almost put me in the ground, in the grave, in many mm -hmm. ways. And um, it's, so, it's so important to me that people understand that when they're listening to it, you know, that this is something, this is a labor of just intense amounts of love and pain and death and suffering and sadness and grief and 
and that it's a woman coming out of something that I didn't think I'd get out of. I honestly didn't think I was, I almost didn't think I'd make it here. I really thought I'd probably kill myself. I really, when I had really bad silent reflux and I couldn't swallow and was on that liquid diet for all those months and couldn't sing, I didn't see any reason to live anymore, honestly. And I was mm -hmm. thinking I'm gonna be like Wendy O. Williams, but I realized that there were people that loved me and my mom needs me and, and we were moving to New Orleans, which I felt was going to be good for me, which it has been, by the way. And I do have cats I have to take care of. And I thought, you still have your, the, your five, the five remaining that need you. But I mean, honestly, that's, that's how important it is that my, that my music, this music I'm making now gets out there. So I believe he's putting it on those platforms for me. Mm -hmm. but it's not that it wouldn't be ever available. It's a great idea and it's not something I would never say not to do because I think it'd be great that I think it should be available no matter what, all of the nuclear death, of course. So yeah, that's, but I think he's doing that. I think that's why, if I remember correctly from our contract, that's why I don't have to worry, literally worry about it because Odin's <laughs> taking it over for me, which kind of freed me up though. It did. It was sort of like, good. Now I can find, because I still sell those other two, the, the two CDs that I still have copies of what's your planet and harmony and i'm selling them here from my house and then there's like i said there's the merchandise that comes into me that i get like five shirts or a couple hoodies or and then i'll sell those and so there is that connection and of course i don't know if you've seen pictures of me recently but every day i'm probably wearing a nuclear dust shirt because when i moved here i had all of those in a plastic storage thing and i thought why are they in there i've never i i don't know what i think i'm going to do with these and so I washed them all, and I thought, I'm just going to wear them. And I have a nuclear dust shirt for probably three months before I'd ever wear the same one. <laughs> you know, because oh, every well. time somebody gets me one or, get, or gets the license, they give me one, too, anyway. And, you know, and they're usually really heavy, and I, I like things to be thin. And these are the really OG old ones. So I just started wearing them. I thought, why not just wear them and be done with it? So oh, that's why I have all those now. But what I'm saying is that's, you know, I'm, all, I'm always representing. So it's like, that's fine. But, but yeah, I, I, it's just that I really, this, this album means the world to me. And it, so I guess I just want to concentrate on it because it's its, its own bear and beast. It's, as you know, like I told you, dude, I had no idea I had fucking two album deal. I had no fucking deal that I had no idea I made a double album until I realized how long it was. I thought, oh my God, this is even going to fit on a CD. Holy shit. Oh, and I am making uh, copies uh, soon. I'll be making them through disc uh, makers, I believe is what they're called. But I am going to be making physical copies of my new album as well soon. That will be happening. So that is a cool thing. All right. So one thing I'm curious about uh, now that we've gone through the discography is uh, in terms of the early days of nuclear death, um, were you guys like really part of the local metal scene insofar as that existed in Phoenix at the time, because it feels like nuclear death had like a couple years of touring and playing out. And then it mostly became a studio project mm. or am I, am I off base on that? No, you're well, you're only off base on that. There was no, there was a big scene. It was, I mean, considering it's fucking Phoenix, 
Uh, and, uh, it, we had a great metal scene, and we had a great metal scene before I ever was in Nuclear Death. I mean, I had the biggest hair in town. I mean, you know, it's like <laughs> there's pictures of me, and um, I mean, I went all out. You know, when I got into metal, that that saved my life, and I was just like, you know, I went. We had all the cool places. We had, you know, Music Land and Merry Go Round where I could get my clothes, and everybody's wearing. Everybody looks like, you know you know, the hair bands and all that, you know, all that stuff. And it was Metallica that changed me because when I got that record, I was like, whoa, these people aren't wearing makeup. They have acne. Well, James Hetfield did. Kirk Hammett's <laughs> cute. Hmm. I wonder what these guys were like. And then they, that changed everything because hearing that record made me get into, that's where extreme metal came for me because that was really extreme to go from me listening to, um, let me think what the, okay, well, Motley Crue is my favorite before that. So let's say I'm watching, I'm listening to Motley Crue, okay? So I'm watching, I'm watching, listening to Motley Crue. I'm going to see him. I went and met him at, oh, during the Shot of Denver tour. I met uh, Tommy Lee, who was really, really cool, by the way. Uh, real cool dude. Um, but anyway, that was that scene I was in, that scene with the, the Motley Crue and, and all that stuff. And then I, saw Metallica, the, the, the Kill Em All album. And then that was it. It's like that pretty much hit me. And then I learned what did they like? They liked bands like Iron Maiden, blah, blah, blah. So I got into all of that and then found the scene for it. There was a scene for it. So I found it. And, you know, the, the scene consisted of the local bands at that time were considered heavy bands, by the way, would be your Sacred Reich, your flatsum and jetsum, which I always call fucksum and sucksum because they're <laughs> assholes. Well, they're assholes. I mean, they were originally called the dogs and they were really cool when they were called the dogs and they were cool people to talk to. But then when they became flatsum and jetsum, suddenly they were too good for everybody. And um, anyway, they, they kind of went off the heels of Surgical Steel, who I actually took guitar lessons from Jim Keeler. Um, and actually ended up having to teach him to do stuff because he didn't have a good ear. So I would teach him the songs slowly and then he would do the solos because he was better at soloing because he was a good solo player but I, he used to come to me to learn solos because I could hear it's really kind of weird but anyway uh I digress so so yeah that that scene there was a scene the problem was is we were never in it we were never mm. in it we tried um there were people that were good to us at Tynator, Savage Rage um, desecration was huge. They were the ones that taught mm. us about tape trading. I've always said that I loved them. They were kind and they were fun. We got buzzed with them. We'd get stoned, drink beer, and they taught us all about tape trading, which was key. And that you can do the DIY and taught me more about DIY, which was in punk as well. It's the DIY bullshit. And I was like, oh, mm -hmm. so, oh, you know. So, but anyway, yeah, we were, we were not we tried, you know, like I tried to make friends with this band pedophile and it was just like, you can't, like these people just, they just, it was really weird. It was like, they just really couldn't, they didn't like me. I thought it was because I was fat. Okay. By the way, that just excuse me there. That that's the other thing. I was still <laughs> under the influence that, okay, it's cause I'm fat. So I better stop eating because I'm not pretty enough. And, um, you know, Phil said, you know, sex sells, Laura, you got to look, you, you know, he, he actually used to start to control my food so that I did actually lose weight because he, he was like, you need to look good because you're the front woman. Okay. So that happened. 
And then that didn't work though, because I, I, I mean, I think I'm attractive. I look like my parents, my parents are good looking people. So I feel like I am an attractive person. So I kind of feel like I was attractive. So what's the deal? So then I thought, well, now I'm skinny and nobody, they still don't like us. So I was like, <laughs> why? This is real, dude. So I was like, why? So, and you know, Joel and Phil are good looking too. That's the other thing. We were a good looking band. I might add we were interesting. Phil's a very interesting looking person. And so is Joel. He's a nice looking guy. So, and, and Steve, of course, is gorgeous. So actually, I always thought, you know, we're a really good looking band because not all these fucking bands are all good looking either. Not that they need to be, but I'm just saying we actually were good looking. And I thought, what's the deal? Like, well, you know, and then I thought, is it because we're good looking? Maybe that's why. So, you know, and then the whole, and then the other thing was, I thought, and then, anyway, I realized it was really people, it was the lyrics. It really was. People mm. just could not get past Never Be Sally. They really couldn't. That was the one. <laughs> and I don't understand it. I thought, but, you know, it's a song and it's a real thing that people do. I mean, I thought, have you not seen these weird videos where they're fucking pigs and shit? It's horrible. But <laughs> what about, you know, what about Catherine the Great and the horse? I mean, come on, people. Do your history. I mean, I just didn't understand. It was like, they made it like, you know, we were doing this or something. And I've said this before, and I, and I don't mean to be repetitive, but it's, it just didn't make sense. I thought, do they even think we're doing it? Like, we're the animal lovers of life. I thought, we love animals, and we're not over there killing them and fucking them, or what are you talking about? <laughs> if, you know, like I've said with, like, you know, with, with, with the, the lovely, lovely Don Crotsley, who I finally got to meet and sing with, and, I mean, that man is the sweetest man on earth, but he's in fucking nun slaughter, and we have me singing about nuns. Oh, he's, he's a great saying, guy. Yeah, he's very sweet. You know, see you later, sister, or whatever I say, but it's like, you know, but I'm just saying, you know, it's like, it doesn't mean that he's over there doing this. And that's what I'm trying to say. It was like, they, it was like as if we were doing these things, you know, mm -hmm. I think it was because we were more creative. Honestly, we had, we didn't have all the fire and brimstone, but we had that great artwork. I mean, Phil's artwork at the beginning of the deal, we had, I mean, we had our friend Chris Barkley dress up. We actually were able to find a wig and a mask to make him nuclear neg. He was so skinny. Come on. That's cool. I wanted an Eddie character like like uh, Iron Maiden. And it was just like, I thought, I just thought people would find it really cool, but they just totally did not. And they really didn't like me. That was the thing. I don't know if it's made, you know, I've been told later it's because they were jealous. But I don't know about that. I don't know why boys would be jealous, but they were, they, that's what I've been told. I mean, they were like, they must be jealous because you outdo them. And there was one thing I do know. Most of these dudes couldn't sing for real, and I can and I know they knew that, but I never look at it. I just don't, I don't know. I don't think like that though. So I just couldn't imagine Eric, whatever the hell his name is from Sacred Right, or not Sacred Right, I'm sorry, Flotsam and Jetsam, who, who thinks he's a singer, thinks, who gives a shit? You know, it's like, what, my vibrato's better than yours? I mean, I, it just wasn't like that. I wanted these people to like us so much so we could go on tour with them. Same thing with Sacred Right. Mm. One of the I people gotcha. was a good person to us, but... It was just the attitude was always like we're not oh oh that like we even got invited to this woman at uh, Metal Mon she was known she used to let all the kids drink underage she had the daughter that was like sort of slutty and drooped all the bands <laughs> well you know she's cool but she drooped all the bands and the mom had the hair and um, she ended up getting Sepultura to come out I mean she that's her thing somehow or another mm. I don't know if she helped manage them I don't know what happened 
Well, who else wasn't into them either? I always thought, well, okay, I guess they're all right, whatever. But, you know, I didn't find them that interesting. So, okay. But anyway, so we went to one of their parties. And we were like, okay, now we're going to rub elbows, you know, with, uh, and we didn't get invited. We actually got invited by Tynator because they were invited because that, their guy that was in Tynator who loved us, they were really cool people, by the way. He was really cute. So she liked him. And, and she always seen a friend, the cute guys, this older metal mom. Metal mom has us all come. And I thought metal mom's going to manage us. No, no, it wasn't like that at all. They, we were like, quit, we were like wallflowers. I mean, Joel's very partying and friendly. He was a very friendly, funny person. And he, even he kind of, they didn't even kind of, nobody, I mean, he always gets all the girls and it was a weird situation. Nobody wanted to talk to us. And it was really weird. I felt like back in high school when, or I should say grade school, when you're at the seventh grade dance and it's disco night and no one's talking to you. Same thing. <laughs> so it was weird. It was really weird. But yeah, no, that scene, it, that scene, there was no scene for us. It was like, you know, we were always the outsiders. I, I'm proud of that now, but it wasn't fun then because I really wanted, I just wanted people to like us and to, to respect, I should say respect. Maybe I'll use that term more. Let's go rap here a little bit. I wanted the respect of these people. And I thought being in an extremely intense band like that would give it to me. It does now. I'm very pleased to say that I got that respect now, but I had to earn it and it took years and I never thought it would. I just thought people would think, oh man, that's cool. There's a girl. Mm. It wasn't. It wasn't cool. I wasn't cool. We weren't cool at all. We weren't mean <laughs> enough. We weren't part of the crowd. It was like, it really was. It was weird. It was like, you know, Phil never fitted in his high school. How could he? He's, come on, he's Phil Hampson and it's a Catholic school. Let's just do the math. Okay. And then Joel, I don't know if he had a, he also, I don't know if he was a graduate or not. I know I had to graduate, but I don't, I don't know if he did or if even if he did, he, he knew a lot of people. People liked him because he's a friendly, funny guy. He's the partier. You want Joel at your parties because he's fun to party with. He can hold his alcohol. Okay. But, you know, so, but it was just weird because it was like, the, we were just this, these uh, outlaws. It was like outlaws in our own, in an outlaw genre, though. See, that you're supposed to all be outlaws. So, mm -hmm. what, what, you know, it didn't compute, man. It was like, okay, you know, oh, nuclear death. Oh, they're coming. Oh, fucking, they're weird. Well, I'm, I'm curious about <laughs> the, uh, you know, talking about the scene and everything and talking about the whole DIY thing early on. Yeah. What were crowds at nuclear death shows like? Were they, because you're coming from an era where there was more of a split between punks and metalheads than there is now. And I see nuclear death even as back then being a very idiosyncratic band and i'm not sure what the the shape of the crowd would be like back then i mean was it metalheads was it punks well, see, was it a mix see, that's or? what's sad about nuclear death we didn't really play that many shows first of all <clears throat> let me just say that a lot of the mm -hmm. things that we did were joel would find us a party that we could play because he knew people and mm -hmm. it would that that's a lot of what we did um as far as like we did some vfw hall ones where you know, we opened for, I think, that band pedophile. There's the one with the Dark Angel, right? Dark Angel? I think so. Yeah, and, um, oh, I don't even remember who else was on the bill. It doesn't matter. Uh, oh, no, I'm sorry, not Dark Angel. Uh, Death Angel. That's right. Sorry, wrong one. T wrong Angel. But anyway, um, <laughs> well, yeah, I just, I'm just trying to remember the, the flyer and what it all said. Um, but anyway, the thing about it was is that, these people that would come to these shows, 
they were mainly look like us, jeans, t-shirts, flannels, stone or metal, you know, depending on how metal, how, because remember by this time I'm not wearing my, my faux leather jacket and my bullet belt mm-hmm. and my, and all of that anymore. I'm not wearing my, my, my black leather vest with the Kerrang patch and the buttons like Iron Maiden style. And I don't have my white high top. So those are all gone. No more Iron Maiden. Now I'm looking like I, in fact, I did dress us originally. I wanted us to dress like Metallica. I said, that's what we should look like. No more makeup. I just stopped wearing makeup immediately. I was like, I, that's the other thing. I was like, I can't be taken seriously with makeup. This is what I figured. I was like, I'm not Lita Ford. I need to fucking take off this eyeliner. I love eyeliner, by the way. I mean, it is my signature. But at the time, it was like, no, I need to look like as close to a guy as I can so I can <laughs> be respected. So I even bow my breasts because back then I was a, a lot larger and um, they were big. And so I used to like tighten them just to make it make me look a little bit more flat. I know it's really weird, but I was trying to, you know, blend it. But anyway, and then we got our long hair and whatever. But the crowds there pretty much looked like us. And then there were the ones that there were the more metal people that would have the big hair still. <clears throat> They'd have the spike belt, this, the wristbands. And um, then you got the, the people that just go to these things to get fucked up and they're in there, you know, they're, um, you have the hardcore people, you know, like, not hardcore, I wouldn't say hardcore, but, oh, God, what are they, I guess, I don't know what they call them nowadays, but they would be the guys that wear, like, the board shorts, the t-shirts, and the vans, those guys. Well, that just sounds like rich people I hate, I don't know. <laughs> well, no, these, well, I guess these weren't rich people, they were just, like, kids that, like, rode skateboards and listened to punk. Oh, okay. Not like that good. Like, I, I guess they call them skate punk, but that's not back. We don't have skate punk then. Well, maybe we do. I don't know. But, you know, they listen to Dead Kennedys and shit like the people I love. Dead Kennedys, Black Flag. <laughs> Proto skate punk. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, there you go. Yeah. Because, I mean, but that's, we'd see those people too. And, of course, I love to talk to them because I was the only one in my band that was into, that was into punk rock and hardcore and, and discharge and, and septic death and, and uh, Dead Kennedys and Black Flag and all that shit. Fear. Uh, Flipper, oh my God, I love Flipper. Life is the only thing worth living for. You know, I love those bands. So it's like, I would be able to hang out. That was one thing. It's weird. Okay, there you go. The punk crowd seemed to like me, like us. But mm. there was never enough of them at shows. The, at, the, at the metal shows, punks weren't supposed to really be alive. See, this, this is this click bullshit, okay? Instead of just everybody getting along and Rodney King in it, they didn't. It's like the punks hated the metals, who hated the blah, blah, who hated the blah. And I don't know who hated who and why. And then there'd be the couple goths that that's not cool. The goth, what's a goth person doing here? Get out of here, <laughs> you fucking fucker. And, and, and. and I think, why? You know, I thought that was cool. I thought I'd, maybe they weren't here for us, but I thought it was cool. But no, it's not cool. I was, you know, that's what I'm saying. There were all these rules that I never understood. Um, because it's segregated. So yeah, but you, that's the kind of audience you would see. It was very, um, it was mainly metalhead people. And why, when I mean metalhead, I'm talking about people that look like we would look like. We would consider ourselves metalheads. And then there'd be the, then there'd be the, the, um, the more heavy metal people. And that would be the, the people that look and dress like Iron Maiden and, and um, Judas Priest kind of looks, you know, with the Lender Leather Boy or whatever. And then you've got the hardcore punks and, and, and the skater people. And like I said, they were always sort of segregated off. They were there to get wasted and drink, you know, 50 cent beer and maybe see a band or whatever. But they seemed to, a lot of those people, I remember, well, not a lot, but a couple of people would always be like, whoa, you know, you guys are intense. You know, they seem to get it more because they listen to stuff that's fast because punk, 
rock is faster music. So, you know, one, two, three, four, da, da, you know, like Meat Men, we're the Meat Men and you suck. I love that album. But he's like, one, two, three, four, you know, and it's like they get the one, two, three, four. But the metalhead people kind of didn't get the one. And they, they thought Joel, they didn't get how great Joel was. I mean, Joel's a fucking amazing drummer. And they, they were like, you can't even tell it's a snare drum. And I thought, what? Like, <laughs> I, don't, I could hear it the snare drum. So I didn't understand what, I guess that's the problem is I could hear the music we were making as music. So I guess if you can't hear it, then, okay, when my mom was interviewed by Quentin Earhart recently, he interviewed my mother as well. And mm -hmm. that was something that he asked how she heard nuclear death. And she said it sounded all like noise. So if I think of how she heard it, I bet that's how they heard it. I just think they couldn't understand what we were doing at all. Because you can understand Flotsam and Jetsam and Sacred Reich and stuff. You can, it sounds like heavy metal. I mean, you can understand it. You can hear the chord changes and do, yeah. do, 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 do. But us, maybe not. Maybe, you know, I, I mean, it's, we, got way, we got way more intense on Carry On, but Carry On, the crowds you're talking about were the original ones. Because I, I, I'm telling you, man, we're lucky we got the Michigan Death Fest. And of course, that was all me, thankfully, talking to people over, uh, over, uh, over there, fans and getting people to help us get over there, which they, I, no, I shouldn't say help us get over there, but I mean, want us to come. But uh, mm -hmm. yeah, we were lucky because otherwise we would have never played any of those songs live because we could not play in Arizona. If, if Joel didn't find us some house party, we weren't playing. After we mm -hmm. played a couple of times, nobody wanted, and you know, it wasn't even because we did anything again. We were good. I even left things clean. I mean, I don't know, man. We just like, we were respectful. Like we didn't do all the crazy Gigi Allen. I wasn't going to shit on stage. I wasn't going to like, you know, I don't know. I was going to piss all over you. It's like, we were actually kind of more respectful. Maybe it's because there was me in the band. I don't know. It was just sort of, we were respectful to, to, to the people around us, but we just couldn't get a break. And we just, nobody would ever get us on the bill. We would beg and beg and beg to get on bills that we couldn't get on. <laughs> I got horrible. Well, I mean, speaking of <laughs> speaking of Joel and speaking of the band early on in general, mm -hmm. um, for a, a kind of in-depth musical question, uh, at least on the uh, the first couple full lengths, uh, what the fuck is happening in terms of timing while playing those songs? Because is was a lot of that just done kind of by memory in sort of free time because the way i see it there's Wait, what, either what album are you talking what do you talk what what are you talking about what song basically basically like uh carry on for worm oh okay okay and then earlier um right. okay go because ahead. I just like wasn't sure. certain demos are a little bit more organized but there's a lot of stuff where it's like either there's a hundred time signatures or there's no time signatures you know it's like it's it's fascinating. It's it's almost like free jazz the way the music is structured on those first couple full length records, and I, I I'm just curious because it's like clearly everyone's very capable on their instruments, but they all seem to be playing like a quarter note off of each other and kind of snapping what, together. What instrument you know? do you play? Uh, I mostly Mainly. play guitar. Okay. Okay, so that, all right, that's good to know. So here's the thing. All right, now you got to remember, Phil was tone deaf, and he, it's, he'll tell okay. you this, okay? I used to tune his guitar. Obviously, as you know, I am not. Now, Joel 
his issue was whenever we would record, suddenly all of his shit went out the window every time. Now, I don't know if it was nerves. It never seemed like it was nervous, but he would be like, my hands hurt, the stool's wrong. We get in there and suddenly everything that we did would be out the window. And what I mean is, is suddenly they'd play off and it would, you know, me as a singer, I know off. I have natural rhythm. So I'm like, what? And these are the takes that we, that we got down. And I'm trying to think of one of the, my favorite oh, the, ones. Like, like I, I, I'm not criticizing it because that's one of no, the things that there's, makes there, it sound so awesome. One of the awesome. songs, I'm just, try, I'm just hearing it in my head. Um, yeah, like, okay, for, uh, you know, like, some of them are, like, really, like, okay, there we go. We got it. But there's other ones where you can even hear the drums come in late. And after 75 takes later, I, maybe not 75, but after the, again, we're paying for studio time. And after like four or five takes and the drums are still not right, we'd have to leave it because it'd be like, we can't afford for you to play this 50 more times, Joel. And it wouldn't be always yeah. Joel because Joel, it seemed to me that Phil was the one that would play off from Joel because Joel is a drummer and he is a good drummer. He is, has good timing, but Phil sometimes didn't. And I'm not putting criticizing him either, honestly, I should but I'm not, I'm not, right now we're speaking as musicians. Mm -hmm. It's just that he wouldn't hear what I can hear. Now I'm playing bass, but see, I can hear. So I know where it goes and if it's off, but with him, Mm -hmm. he would play off of me too. I mean, when we played live, that was a problem I always had. I never, I never thought we played one show that was good because it always was off to me. There was always a thing where Phil would be off from Joel or he'd be off for me or something, or it would make me go off. And then I got to sing too. So, you know, that was a problem. And it's just because he didn't really have the, the, the time. He's not good at timing. Um, it's also what made these songs sometimes work because of the fact that he didn't have good timing. He yeah. would have strange time signatures that you wouldn't normally put into a guitar part, which is good. But it wouldn't always work and you know yeah like like one of my favorite songs is, of all time is Stygian Tranquility in fact sometimes I cover it acoustic <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah and uh that's a, it's a real fun song to play but uh yeah that's one where it was like are we gonna get it please please because it was just it's as soon as you fit as soon as you finish that but don't but don't but don't but don't but don't but don't but as soon as you go to down 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 and when you go down if you don't get that you're fucked and when you get to the if you can't do that and it's not exactly right it's going to be off and i'll never forget when we were doing it uh originally before we recorded it because I thought, oh God, it's getting, you know, the, you can hear when Phil would sometimes speed up and play too fast over the drums. It's like you said, with a million time signatures. Yeah. And, and that is, but see, again, um, when you're paying $75, I think I'm trying to think, um, Chaton Studios was $75 an hour. And that Oof. was insane. And so was Vintage Studios, which is where our carry on for where our master tapes burned, burned uh, down uh, there. But uh, they, uh, that's the only masters I don't have, by the way, are those, unfortunately, because they did burn in the fire. Uh, adventure Oof. studios but uh anyway yeah so 
uh, yeah. But anyway, with with that said, the Carry On, the Carry On album, and those albums, uh, there are yeah. I mean, as a, as a writer, as a songwriter, <clears throat> I mean, believe me, uh, you got to have some good internal rhythm to play like I just played on my album because there's no drums on the album, mm-hmm. and you can see that because you can. I mean, I'm not playing to a click track or anything. I'm, that's my natural rhythm and I know what I'm doing, but that's the whole thing is not everybody was, you know, you got Joel's a drummer, so it's already there and Steve's a drummer, but Phil would be off sometimes. And so when we, what I realized is we would accommodate him, which is good that we could do that. But in the studio, Mm -hmm. it's kind of hard because you're supposed to get it right. And, you know, and, and they get nervous and, you know, I mean, I guess the thing is, it's kind of strange in the studio. I was only nervous about those two doing what, doing just what I just said. Because my takes would be one. I would go in, sing vocals, Lori, oh, Lori's done. Next vocals, Lori's done. I usually do vocals in one take. And then the bass parts, one take. The only reason I wouldn't do the bass parts in one take is for some reason, if Phil was off, I'd have to figure out how to accommodate the bass to be off because we usually would try to do this live. We learned it mm-hmm. would be, oh, that's what it was too. We did learn uh, with carry on at least, uh, not carry on, uh, with Al, uh, no, uh, what's the four are dead? We learned with four are dead, and this is Steve again. He's like, I don't know why we're doing this separate. He's like, why don't we just go in there and record all at once? It'll be easier. It'll sound mm. tighter. And he was right. Yeah. Now Joel actually did suggest this during Carry On, but Phil wouldn't listen to him because Joel mm. said maybe we should do this together because he wanted to be able to see us. And then Joel's a very physical person, so when he, he I mean, he couldn't help him move his head around and everything when he's playing and of course he had headphones that wouldn't stay on and uh you know you're trying to tie it around his head to get him on so they stay on and he can play and there are things like that so yeah things like that like he tried he did but phil at that time was just like he phil would get these regimented ideas and it's like you can't do it it's like a, a lot of people play together it's 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 it is easier actually uh if you can see the people you know you're not over there by yourself and, you know, some people like to go in and just play to the tracks. Okay. But for us, we're a live band. We're more live. Like, as you know, the energy kind of go out the window for separate. Now, when Steve and I played together, that was weird because, you know, I'm standing there with my strap and my friend's beautiful Ibanez Destroyer. And then he's got his drum set and I got, I'm, we're, we're separated, but we're looking at each other. That was mm-hmm. how we were doing it. But then when we went back and did the other, the overdubs with the, then we got to go in and he played bass on that album. I don't think I, I don't think I played bass at all on Alcre- or on Fletic Shexels. I just didn't fucking want to. But um, yeah, so we would always be looking at each other as a duo, you know, so we could overdub. But, you know, as far as like, as far as those albums, that's why you hear those time signatures because it's, it's, uh oh, Phil got off again and that made this get, or, Joel's off from Phil because of, and then how do we accommodate that? And of course, as you know, drums would be laid down first. I would do scratch tracks and so would Phil and then drums first and then the guitar and then the bass. So I was lucky because after all of that mess happened, I could accommodate because I have a good ear. I would be able to accommodate where the fuck ups are and make the bass work for those. So if okay. it was, that's why if you, I mean, it's hard to even hear the bass on carry on, honestly. Um, he didn't, uh, he just didn't know. The, the dude that recorded it, Billy Moss has had no idea what he was doing. 
even though he pretended <laughs> that he did. Oh, I recorded Stevie Nicks. Yeah, sure. But anyway, um, well, I mean, that's why I wanted to use him because I love Stevie. And I thought, oh, he recorded Stevie Nicks. Well, this is where we, you know. So, um, but anyway, uh, yeah. So with, but like I said, I, I, I'm lucky that I can hear so I could go, okay, so I'm, you know, I wait, a, I wait a beat because that happened or do I accommodate Joel or is the bass going to be off from Joel? No. Okay. And that's how we did it. Okay. It's weird. I, I I'm glad that. you asked me that because nobody's ever asked me that. And it drives me crazy because as you, like I just said, it's like when I did, when I did this new album, I actually tried a click track. I did it for mm -hmm. Pink Moon. I thought I'm probably going to need, you know, I'm sorry, not Pink Moon for, uh, for, uh, on the pain. I thought, okay, I want to get on the pain nice and tight. And, um, I put it on and I tried it and kept trying it and I kept doing it, fucking it up, fucking it up, fucking it up. And I thought, you know what? This is done. I thought, I'm just going to use my internal metronome, get down and just fucking do it. And I did it. And then um, that song, what did the, my, my, my eating disorder song, What Do the Beautiful People Eat? That song was weird, dude, because it's actually on a guitar and I know you can hear it. If you listen to it, you can hear that I muted the guitar out, but it's there. It's just that the guitar on that is so repetitive that the song is so long that I realized I just could not keep it going and be perfect. I thought this, mm -hmm. I, I'd be like, oh, God damn it. I'd be like, ah, fuck, I'm almost <laughs> done. So finally, I thought maybe I'll make, I thought, I know what I, I'm going to do. I'm going to make my own beat for it. And then I'll, I'll make my own click. I, I realized, wait, make your own click. I couldn't find a click track. I was going through Apple, you know, beats and shit. And I was like, oh my God, I can't find anything that's the right time signature for this song. So I, and I know you can make it, but I don't know how to do that. So whatever. So I thought, all right, I'm going to make a beat with my mouth. So I beatboxed and I went, and I just did it twice. And then I looped it. And then after I recorded the song, I still played off a little bit. So I thought, wait a minute. And my mom's like, my mom came up and she's like, oh my God, that sounds like somebody eating. And I said, oh my God, that's what the song's about. It's about my eating disorder. And she's like, is it? <laughs> and she's like, it sounds like someone chomping, going chomp, 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 chomp. And I thought, holy shit, mom. I said, I'm going to take the guitar out. Thank you. And she's like, what? I said, I, just never mind. And I said, when I come downstairs, you'll have the finished product. And I came down and I took the guitar out. And that's why that song sounds like that. It oh, was I just see. supposed to be, a, I just made a click track with my mouth. Because I didn't couldn't find the right for it to be. Because I was trying to do one and two and one and two, one and two. You know, and I'm sitting there thinking, why can't this just work? Why can't I get this down? And I mean, like I said, the song is 50 million times. It's it's so it's so repetitive, like an eating disorder can be. And it's me just screaming, at, you know, screaming, going, how in the hell is it that you're so skinny and I'm doing everything and I'm not? And it's horrible. And I've had it. I've, I've suffered from an eating disorder since I was 10. I mean, I'm, I'm fine, but I'm just saying it's like I had weight problems for so long that I finally made my eating disorder song. I was so happy. And then I couldn't get the guitar down. I just couldn't because it's just it's very repetitive. It's it's a um, I nicked I nicked the guitar part from a song for, uh, by a band called Live. It's not exactly their song, but it's just kind of a piece of uh, something from the 90s that I twisted and uh, mm. use it might even be our, our uh, uh, it might even be our, uh, our our lady piece too I can't remember but it's just kind of like something I remember hearing and I I chose a guitar thing and I said I'm just gonna sing to this and it worked and uh, and then that happened but I'm just saying it's stuff like that where it's like you know I'm very I, I think it's because I okay after living with a drummer for 13 years you 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 understand timing so I yeah. think that's a really lucky thing and and and, and he did teach me 
Steve taught me enough to, pl to play drums enough to where, like when we were recording in our own home studio, I could go sit at his kit and he could say, okay, play this beat so he can get the, the, the miking right. And he'd go, you know, hit my snare, hit my china, hit, my, hit, hit the ride. Okay, now, you know, do this, do that. So he taught me a little bit just so that I could check his kit so he could do, you know, put the, put the miking together when we record together. And that's how I learned how to play drums a little bit, which I really, I do not say I play drums, please. But I'm just saying, <laughs> but I do, I'm just saying like, like for instance, like he used to, he, I used to sleep to him playing drums. Like that's how much I love drums. Like I can sleep and you can play a full kit and I'll sleep. I love yeah. drums. So it's like, you know, I have affinity for drummers and it's like, um, so yeah, he, you know, that's the thing about it is living with him. He, any timing, any bad timing that may have happened with me or I didn't have good timing that went out the window because I was taught how important timing is and 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 if you're not gonna if you're going to go off time and i also learned this from george balanchine since i love ballet and george balanchine's my favorite you know choreographer ever there was this there was this documentary about one of his favorite pupils suzanne farrell and it's called elusive muse and she was like his muse and she was like 14 when he was teaching her and he was in his 60s and they had like this mental affair um and one of the things he taught her to do was this piece where she falls off point. And in ballet, you do not fall off point. You don't do that. That's that's considered wrong. And he had her doing this piece in the '60s where she it's almost like just jointed jazz, and it's all ba do 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 do, and she's falling off point. And I remembered that forever. That if you are going to go off, make sure it sounds right. That you're doing it off. So that was the other thing. Now in nuclear death, no. <laughs> But I'm glad you saw that because I'm telling you, there's some there's some pretty interesting uh, ways of doing things in those songs that, you know, because remember, we're also playing and trying to play them faster on the big records than we, that, remember, we hadn't got fast just yet. Our picking style hadn't went to the new extreme of trying to sound like cellos and violins, which is where we were going with it. So it's like, we're not there yet. The, the demos, they're not as fast. So if you hear something that's from a demo and then you hear it on the album, it's going to be faster because the picking style hadn't caught up just yet. So once the pick, once we got our picking styles down with the making it sound like, like I said, like violin bows, then, and our, we always use teardrops, Fender teardrops. That's the signature nuclear death picks. I just had the bigger version of it because I had the bass. And you're doing a Fender teardrop there. And you're never, you're just a wrist. It's only a wrist motion. There's no big arms. There's no dude arm. It's all the wrist. It's like a little, little bitty fairy wrist. And now Phil's fans are smaller than mine. He has very delicate female hands, actually. My hands are much more meaty. And that's little bitty wrists. And that's what it's like flicking your wrists. It's like, like jazz hands. So if you think of that picking style, that's the other reason, too. Because playing, trying to play them faster and more fast and furious uh, also made those tightness, tightness signatures basically just kind of go out the window. <laughs> Time signature, what's that? You know, it was all about how fast can we play and get away with it? Can we get this to tape? 